0: Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more.
1: Good evening brothers and sisters of the leaf Coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope It's the Tuesday night Cigar Club podcast Tonight the boys talk with filmmaker Sky Borgman About her wildly successful documentary Abducted in Plain Sight While they smoke the Punch Diablo cigar Paired with the Madit Belgian Strong Ale from Unibrew Sounds like we're in store for an episode Quite unlike any other folks So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show so my in-laws got us this huge four-in-one old-timey stereo for Christmas. Like a, re- yeah, like a record player, CD, cassette, oh yeah, yeah, radio, one of those big things. And I wasn't really a fan. I'm not a big vinyl guy, and it's a big piece of stuff.
2: Is it like one of those retro ones that Target put out or something like that? It's
1: big, made of wood. It's nice. Oh, you made a legit one. Yeah, it's nice, okay. but it's big, and I don't play records, and I don't, um, I don't know, my cassettes are boxed yeah. up, so I didn't really, I wasn't really a big fan uh, initially, but uh, the wife was demanding that I unbox it and, and set it up, so yeah. I did, and now for the last two weeks, every morning when I wake up, I turn on the radio and... I listen to 91.3 Simply Beautiful all day long. What it's is It's like that? I'm living in a dentist's office. Oh. It's like easy listening music. Yeah. I'm addicted.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, between this, I was telling Yaks my newfound uh, love of artisanal bar soaps. Oh, my God. Oh, dude. I spend all day Saturday just going looking uh, for new bar soaps. I just don't have a clue who I am anymore. I don't either. I feel better getting that off my chest to you boys, though. In confidence, our listeners uh, obviously got a hustling. reputation to keep up as a beer chugging renegade hustling. badass. I don't want to blow that, so let's keep that little nugget to yourselves about the bar soaps and the easy listening
4: music.
2: Uh, well, put this on your badass. We're recording right now. What's that? Yeah, no, we're live. We're oh, recording. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: well, at least I'll mention this when our special guest comes on the air because I want her to still think I'm cool so we you can just bypass that yeah already
3: she,
2: she's she's already here <laughs> she here. is she is
1: uh well I'm sorry you assholes just haven't lived until you've heard Ann Murray do her version of Danny's song oh my god what the fuck man <laughs> What if I told you that Simply Beautiful 91.3 plays a cover version, Anne Murray doing Slayers South of Heaven?
5: I'd say you're a liar. (laughs) And I've never been more disappointed in you. I don't know. That kind of sounds cool.
1: Well, next time you're over at the house, I'll look at the look of disappointment on your face when I hide all my artisanal bar soaps. Take that. You can't use them. What can I say? I like easy-listening soft music. I like fancy soap. We're doing a documentary of all things tonight. Uh, I'm into class these days, fellas. It's my new thing. Is that what it is? I am into class. Welcome everybody to the Tuesday Night Scar Club, episode 88. Got beep, it. Beep, beep, beep. As long as we've been doing this, we should have.
2: Seems like, dead by now.
1: Seems like we should have been done more than 88 of these things. Um, yeah, I'm changing, guys. I feel it every day.
2: All right. Down.
1: I'm evolving into a better Cade.
2: As you should. As you
1: should. Well, different Cade.
2: As you should.
4: Well,
1: a week or more questioning of everything and just kind of lost
2: Cade. I'm out of here.
1: Boy, I went from better to... I
2: don't know who you are. Dad anymore.
1: Uh, we have a very special show for you tonight, boys and gals. Um, I'm ready for it. Are you? Yes. You ready for this one? Yes.
2: Okay. I've been thinking about this for like six, seven hours.
1: You never get excited about this, so I'll take that as a good sign. Oh, it
2: was mainly like technical like how we're oh, doing trying to it figure
1: there. out how to do all the technical stuff.
2: No 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 no, no I'm I'm cool. I've got i I've got a whole bunch of hard hitting questions.
4: Okay.
1: All right. Uh well let's get right down to brass tacks here. Uh as some of most of you probably know and to our new listeners, uh every episode we pair a film carefully with a cigar and a craft beer. Uh I was wisely detoured from the direction I was going with tonight's pairing. Uh, I'll save that till the end of the show and see how that goes over. Uh, so tonight I have paired tonight's movie with the Punch Diablo. That fits. Uh, it's Spanish for devil. And tonight's, <laughs> mo- tonight's movie is about the devil's business. Apparently so. Uh, by General Cigar Company. It is 6th and 1 eighths in length and a 50 ring gauge. The, they refer to this size as the Scamp.
5: The Scamp? The I've scamp. never
2: heard of that Vitola.
1: I uh, know. This is the only one that's ever been called <laughs> that. Yeah, they have really weird names for their no, sizes. Yeah, it's the cool. Scamp. It is an Ecuadorian Sumatra Oscuro wrapper with a Connecticut broadleaf binder. Filler is Honduran and Nicaraguan. I'll save price point to a little bit later.
2: Uh
1: this is the new face of Punch.
2: I want to take my glasses off because I just old man looked around it. <laughs> I was like, ugh.
1: This is a new uh, look for them. They've had the same look for years. Yeah, i was do,
2: they, to say new level.
1: They do some different stuff, but they're they're trying to rebrand a little bit with some new product um, presentation wise. Uh, and it's also the first Punch cigar made outside of their Honduran factory. It's manufactured by guess who? Who? Who makes everybody's cigars these days? G. Fernandez. Correct. <laughs> um. But this is uh, a dark, oily, veiny bastard. Um,
2: it's weird because it feels oily, but it doesn't look oily. It's very rustic.
1: I like it. It feels very oily, but you're right. It looks dry and, and, and rough. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to kind of breeze a little more through the... Uh, c- That's all I'm going to tell you about the cigar. You're on your own. If you want to learn more about it, go to your local tobacconist, and um, he can tell you all you want. I want to get right to the good stuff tonight. Yeah,
2: but they need to check out that cold draw because it's a little bit of chocolate and sweet raisins. You getting some sweet raisins on there? Some sweet raisins.
1: Sweet. I'll give you that. Uh, you getting sweet raisins, Yakboy? Hay. Hay.
5: A lot of hay. No, I mean, oh. what are you getting. Oh. oh.
1: No. Actual hay. Ah. Actual hay. Actual hay and sweet raisins and a little bit of chocolate. I'll give you the sweetness. Um, while we're lighting up do not you tell us about tonight's beer? It's beer. And moving on, uh, tonight's no, film- no, no. Oh, no we, sorry.
5: we are back with that our joke, with that, that joke never it gets does, old. It does not get old. <laughs> love it. Uh,
1: Sky's been here for ten minutes. It's, like, <laughs> sorry, it's, it, old, it's, it's old, old. It's old. Oh <laughs> man,
5: eighty nine times from our from our wonderful brewers in Chambly, Quebec. I love these guys. Unibrew.
1: I love these guys. I've, I'm, I'm on record. It's my favorite brewery in the
5: world. They do some interesting they, stuff. They make fantastic beers, and we have this will be our fourth pairing. Yeah, yeah. We've done the Don Do, Don Li- Do, the La Fin du Mon, du Mon, and de de L- La Toute Limon, La Toute Limon, La Toute Limon, La Toute The Megadeth beer. That is
1: the Megadeth beer. What is this one called? This is Maudite.
2: the quasi
5: death
4: beer,
2: which
1: is Maudite? Maudite. Madit.
3: Yes. Oh, that's a good beer. I wish yes. I had some beer.
1: I'll see. I told you.
3: I know. I didn't know which one you were drinking.
1: What are you drinking up there? Kahlua and milk?
3: Oh, you. <laughs> that's nasty. It's a little bit of vodka grapefruit.
1: Okay. I had to. I had to. I
3: know. It's just too good, right?
1: Um, yeah.
5: Tell us what you know. It is in the style of a Belgian double. The, uh... Bottle carries on it a the logo of a group of gentlemen flying in a canoe with the devil, which is based on a legend of a group of lumberjacks that struck a deal with the devil to fly home in their canoes, guided by Satan himself, to make it home in time for Christmas.
2: That seems ass backwards.
5: Yeah, you know, let's make
2: a deal with the devil to celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I lived in Canada for a few years. so they? They're
5: different. A little bit. I love Just those. a little bit. I'm, I'm sure there's more to the story, but they didn't give it. And I'm not sure I wanted to ask.
1: That's a lot of lumberjacks in that canoe.
5: Yes. Are you sure it's a
1: canoe? It's a canoe. Might be a schooner.
5: It you know, doesn't have a sail.
1: That's why they needed to ask the devil for help.
5: Well, could be. But it is a powerful drink. It's 8% ABV. Yeah. <laughs> And only about 22 IBUs. So yeah, no bitterness. Not much bitterness.
1: Um, they, do,
5: they do describe it as having the uh, a mild hot bitterness, but without uh, you know lingering hot flavors.
1: Boy, it certainly has a sharp bite on the front end. Yes. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those unibrews like the Don De Du, where the first few I was trying to figure it out, and by the last one I just was in love with it. Could May, be. Possibly. Could be. It's far too early to tell. You like it, Tut? Have you even had a sip yet? You're over there. <laughs> oh, All Jesus. hell's breaking loose, man.
2: <laughs> Squirt him with a fire extinguisher, would <laughs> you? Right? I'm giving her off. She's got Captain.
1: <laughs> um, I don't have time
2: to drink your I'll Canadian
1: com- beer. I'll come. I'll come back to you on the uh, on the beer. How's that? <sighs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. You boys uh, have a few sips. Light up your cigars. I'm going to introduce tonight's film. Abducted in Plain Sight. Now available for streaming on Netflix. Now trending as of last night on Netflix. That is right. Which I believe means a shitload of people are watching it. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, directed and shot by my good friend Sky Borgman. I first met Sky around 10 years ago, give or take, when I hired her based on only her reel. And a phone interview to fly to Texas to be my cinematographer on a messed up little horror film I was about to shoot called Underbelly. (laughs) I literally brought her on board a week before production, and she impressed me from the minute she stepped foot on set. Uh, From the minute she stepped foot in Texas, uh, she impressed me. She has an equal eye for both composition and art for art's sake. She has a very uncanny talent for finding a way for both of those to work together in harmony. And she's everything a director could ask for in a collaborator, and that she does what you tell her, but she does it better than you could ever picture it in your own brain box. I left that ten-day shoot with nothing left in the tank, but I did have a cemented appreciation for Sky's talent and character that has lasted the test of time. I feel like I
2: should be talking at like an award ceremony or something.
1: I, mean, I,
3: I know we need some some really appropriate music. Um, i was supposed to say,
2: I wish I had a soundboard, I could give the
1: <laughs> oh. Okay, uh, you know the Duplass brothers edited my first horror film and Sky shot my second horror film so I should probably make another one someday so somebody else can jump start their Hollywood careers to start them Tut your day's coming buddy Woohoo 73 and I'll finally do a good film Don't don't for, don't forget me when you uh when you get to the top What's your name Uh-huh so, boys. Uh, having said all that, please join me in welcoming the one, the only Sky Borgman to the Tuesday night cigar
2: club. Oh, Sky! Oh, well,
3: thank you. This is awesome. I, um, you know, I have to say that that uh, working with you ha- has lived on with me forever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you no, know, uh, that is it, very appropriate.
5: God, that is and what that is we so always appropriate. seem to hear.
1: I mean, <laughs> I, I, You might want to elaborate just for just a little bit, maybe.
3: We had a great time. It was it was. I have to say, it was one of the best experiences uh, shooting a film I've ever had. We just we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of crazy stuff that we did, and it was just always. Such incredible collaboration and working together. I look when are we gonna do it again? I'm ready. Let's do it again.
1: Um I will let you know as soon as I know. Um but it was fun. We had a lot of fun. And and you know, we've just kind of kept in touch over the years and I'm yeah. I'm just over the moon happy for you and the success that this film has has got to this point. Um Thanks. Sky, let's start off. I mentioned that earlier that I'm into class now. It's my new thing. But for our viewers, and okay, maybe for me, could you explain, what is a documentary? No, I'm just... I'm, I'm joking. I was about to say, is that the way? Oh, my God. Just kidding, just kidding.
4: Just,
2: do I need to start writing your questions? <laughs> that's,
4: my
1: main, that's my go-to question. This is good. This is, this is good. Um, real quick... Uh, Give give our our audience uh, just a, a a quick rundown of you know what what got you to this film. I mean, uh, you know USC film school, um, and then right. just a, a a real variety of, of, of projects. But you know yeah. what what got you here?
3: Well, it's funny. I'm a I'm a director of photography by trade. I mean, it's it's what I do. It's how I make my living. It's what I love. And uh, I've been doing it for almost 20 years now professionally and uh, when this story sort of came up uh, it was a, a friend of mine Stephanie Toby who had found the story I found the book that the Brobergs wrote and um, and she brought it to me and and I've been pretty regularly working as a DP and and this was one that I, thought, you know, this would be great to sort of climb on board and, and and stick with it for a number of years because documentaries, they just take a lot of time. And i had done another documentary before called Junk Dreams, which is a really personal documentary about me and my dad and my uncle Charlie sailing up to Alaska on a Chinese junk boat. And that was seven years of my life. And this one so far has been five years. So I kind of wow came into it knowing that it was going to take a long time. And and I knew from my first doc that I needed to find another topic that I was passionate about enough to spend that much time on it. And when this one came along, it it was the first one in a long time that, that's like the right choice for me.
1: Uh, and I can certainly see why. Um, man, okay, well, we're going to get right into the meat and potatoes thing. Um for, you know, those of you who regularly tune in or, or watch us on YouTube, uh, and to the new folks maybe join us for the first time. Uh we do a pretty deep dive into our films. Um uh, I was actually gonna shake it up a little bit when we first start talking about doing this film. Um and I was like, no, you know what, I think the best way to do it is just like we always do it. Um just kinda go through it, plod through it, and um, having Sky here is kind of, you know, it's kind of a director's commentary where you can ask an interactive director's commentary, if you will.
4: Yeah,
2: thank you for being that open, Sky. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: so what we'll do is we'll go through, and for once, you know, when we're watching Bikini Car Wash, if we've got a question, we don't have a resource <laughs> uh, up there to help us, um, and and so this should this should be fun. This should be interesting. If, I could tell by, before we start, I could tell by the expression in your face, you like the uh, the initial light up on the stogie?
2: Yeah, I really do. It's got a nice little spice to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just got a nice little toothiness to it that I really, really appreciate. It does it's got
1: some real nice spice through the nose, and I'm getting a little bit of mint on the draw. Did you get a little mint?
2: Uh, I'm not sure that's what I'm tasting, but there is something that's a little bit mint-like in terms of it's got a that's it's like a thin mint cookie it's like got a like Girl that, that, that clean and crispness york, in the back. And patty.
1: no not a york peppermint patty like a thin mint no, cookie no
2: definitely not again. a, not a york andes not, maybe an
1: andes a little bit a little bit of an andes yeah andes yeah you're right there you go an yeah. andes mint that's why there's three of us yeah uh boy that's Good a job. that's a nice flavor to have in this <laughs> um yeah, and
2: FDA it, is going to be like mint, huh? <coughs> Andy's eh? Oh,
4: ah, damn it.
1: Um, and you know it's a strong, uh, it's a, it's a it's a cigar with some force to it, but uh, the beer is too. Man, beer is,
5: got man, just keep going that word. It's got some bite. It does, but it's got a little bit of floral and some some stuff going on in the back I'm, end. Too. De- it's it's more like uh, and, you know, I like it because of the 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 raisin sweetness in the beginning. This has that sort of a, a, a dried fruit, very just a hint of it for me anyways uh-huh. on, the, on the flavor but
1: okay do you, do you uh, you're a fan sky did you ever get dried fruit from your modits
3: i think it's it's kind of a nice sweet beer it's really easy to drink oh. um but they sneak up on you i've yeah. certainly had that experience a couple of yeah. times where you know <laughs> where they they're so easy to drink they don't feel like they pack a wall up But after two, you're really feeling
1: it. Yeah, it's funny. We shot for ten days in one of the hottest summers on record in Texas when we shot my little film, and you know, we we tend to we tend to crack a few after a long day on set. Yeah, believe it or not, I never saw Sky really. Boy, she she always kind of level head.
3: I'm very I'm a very serious filmmaker.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I
3: don't. Is that true, really? Yeah, never.
1: I never really. I don't. I just remember you always just being very, I mean, very fun, and 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 we had a great time. But just you always kind of
2: focused on on what you were here I to was do. About to say, don't feel bad, Sky. There's a reason why you're trending on Netflix, and we're here. Bite <laughs> <laughs> <Pipe> down, you.
1: I <laughs> uh, just can't figure out Duplass Brothers, Sky. Where did it all go? Hold on. A second.
3: Where did it go awry? I mean, what happened? <laughs>
1: All right, shall we dive into the film?
2: Yes, because this is one messed up film. This is one very messed up film. Um, Oh, and I will say that I I do, because there's some controversy around how Netflix is rating their movies. Like, you know, this movie is being seen by thousands of people, and then when you ask people, no one's heard of it. But then I, I made just like a simple comment on my Facebook page about this doc, and I had like three people just within, you know, five minutes talking about it. So I, I if my friends are watching it, which I don't think my friends are doc people, so... It, Your friends are not documentary they're people. They're actually, I mean, there's people watching. There's a reason why it's trending.
1: Um, agreed. And I want to talk at the very end a little bit about, about Netflix as a as a streaming partner, but let's just, let's get into this bad boy. I'm ready to talk. Okay. Um well, Sky, you started the film with actual recorded audio of the film's central character, uh, Robert B. I'm going to call him B. for since the other dad's Bob, I'm just going to go with B. Uh, Birch told describing when he first discovered this young girl, Jan Broberg, at the I believe she was 10 when they when they first met. Yeah, and, and how he knew immediately it was the little girl he had been searching for um, his whole life. This audio is played over archival footage of young Jan marching in a parade. And just this intro alone is bone-chilling enough. Just this voiceover. I mean, look the start of a horror film. Uh, with if you didn't have a clue of like the, what was going to come next.
2: So uh, it's at this point, this is one of the few times where my wife and I actually have watched one of our podcast movies I told Sky, together. too, it's the first
1: time I've gotten my wife to watch one of our movies.
2: And so I was thinking, I'm you know, like, documentary, okay, it's probably, you know, serial killer. Jenny loves that. I mean, she loves, like, all the serial killer type stuff. Yeah. And then we started watching this, and we both, our eyes were just kind of like this big, we just kind of like that. I was like, oh, my God, this is about a pedophile.
1: What an intro. Yeah. What in it? What's that?
3: Do you have kids? No,
1: no. I've. Uh-huh. Well, I got. I have two daughters. I know you do. But I. I, I ship them away after watching this film.
2: I, 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 it's th- the same. For, it's the same for me. I, we have two cats. <laughs> do you ship them away after watching this film? <laughs> I would just to be you're safe. You're not around them. You're not. You're not allowed to be there.
1: Um. But I mean, it is. It's just such an effective. You know. You put that. In the beginning of any horror film, and it—it it really
2: it, was it, horror. It sends—it
1: sends, it sends a, a chill up your spine, and I'm not using that superfluously. I mean, it was really creepy. Let me ask you this: throughout the film, you had this gift of old eight millimeter footage. Could you have oh, told yeah. the story effectively without that archival footage? Because I mean, it's so—it just adds so much texture and realness to what's going on. I mean, could you could you imagine doing it without it?
3: Well, it's, it's really interesting because we had uh, kind of a handful of archival, actual archival footage from the Brobergs, and it was wonderful and beautiful. Um, it wasn't enough that was going to be able to sort of get us everything we needed to cover up um, just holes that we had in the story where we didn't really have anything to go to. So we shot recreations for it and, and I really wanted to be able to kind of transport people back in time to the 1970s because I think that was, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I've been saying, you know, I, it's important to get people back to the 70s because it's critical to kind of think about the context of where this film happened and where the story, ha- not the film happened, but where the story happened. Oh, absolutely. Even though I, it is important, but I actually feel like, it, the same stuff happens today. Like, it's not really that different. Like, no, I, just happened in the 70s doesn't mean it can't happen today.
4: It,
2: no, and it, it, it is happening today. But I, well, I think that the interesting thing is that there's there's two things. One is the time period because you don't have cell phones. You don't have a connection to is. the rest of the world. So you are really – and plus your geography – yeah growing yeah. Up, I grew up, you know, in Deep East Texas which was cut off from the rest of the world for lack of better purpose in the, in the 1990s before internet got in there. So there really wasn't a way to kind of wisen up or, you know, it there's a reason why I could kind of understand the naivety naivety, naivety, naivety. of of this family because they were just so remotely located.
1: Right. Yeah, I honestly think you're if you didn't have that footage, you you did so well with the recreations that you, you could have filled those gaps, you know, just as well. I, I thought it was great that you had it, but man, having that stuff just adds such. I a... I like
2: the mixture, and of I, it. I
1: like the mixture. The going back and forth. I really thought they, you did a great job of matching your recreated footage with the with the original stuff.
3: Well, it's interesting because we we sh- I shot all the recreations on on actual eight millimeter film. Like I didn't shoot it on HD and like you know drag it behind a truck and and I knew
1: you did. I knew you did because when we first <laughs> met, your real ha- I mean all your real for the most part was film. That's,
3: um, yeah, that's true. yeah yeah yeah. It's, it's not anymore unfortunately because sure. it's been ten years and nobody's shooting on film anymore for for you know budgetary reasons, but. But for me, really shooting these recreations and kind of going back and, and trying to give them this home movie feel because I, I always, when I'm watching docs and they have recreations, I, I'm cringing most of the time. Like I'm, I'm really aware and cognizant of how the recreations kind of either pull me into a story or take me out of a story. And for the most part, I feel like sometimes recreations can be really cheesy. And I really didn't want mine to feel that way. And I knew that if I was going to shoot them with an HD camera, that I would, I would get all, I would get just too professional. It would be too, I'd be composing too well and exposing too well and doing everything too well. And so I just threw it all away. And the it cam- worked
1: it, so it, well. It would be just visually jarring, uh, you know, next to the, the actual stuff. And it would, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it flows yeah. very organically. Um, well, we then get to know the Broberg family, and by all accounts, from the parents to uh, Bob and Marianne to Jan and her two sisters, they had a damn near perfect home life. Um, at this point, even her folks, uh, Bob and Marianne, seem normal beyond belief when we're getting introduced to them. The kids felt loved. They all say they were secure. Jan says something that caught my ear. We were listened to, which I don't believe was the norm back in 72. I think Dad came home, wanted his dinner.
3: <laughs> Mom was in
1: the kitchen. Like, I, they, drunk dad. They, they seemed to bear, like Yeah, we've had that drunk dad on a million movies here. Uh, yeah. That wasn't the case. They all say that wasn't the case. Um, I guess having read the book, which got you here... Soon after this, things go quickly off the grid uh, into some crazy places... Were, were the, rev- the big-time revelations we're about to get into here? Were you aware of all of them? Not having read the book, I don't know if they're in there. But I mean, was there anything uh, when they started to go into this stuff that just caught you off guard, or was it all pretty? Was it in the Was it in the book or in your research?
3: Uh, it wasn't in the book. Okay. Uh, not everything was in the book. I discovered some some things in the research and going. I, like I don't know how much to divulge here, um, because I think we will go into it. So yeah.
1: um, you can wait till we, we get to that moment if you if you if you want, because I'll probably I'll well, probably just ask you. Yeah, let's, let's wait. We'll wait. Um, yeah. Good call. Um, I just I just wondered if. Let me know as we're going. How about we put it this way: if you had any knock you on your ass moments while you're interviewing these people, where whatever came out of their mouths just completely blew you away, let me know.
3: Yeah, I'll, we'll get to it uh, when we get to the car, because it wasn't it wasn't in the interview. It was before that, but but I've got something really interesting to say about that about um, about dismissing things that you okay.
1: shouldn't. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so s- soon after this intro, we're told the Birch-Told family moves into town, and through the church, uh, they become almost immediate best friends with the Brobergs. It seems like a perfect fit on paper. They all have kids the same age. Um, Bob and Robert, or B, as we're calling them, were both local business owners, so they'd talk shop, got along really well. But uh, both uh, Broberg parents say that even in these early memories of the family's relationship, Jan's mother especially says they were very they were uncomfortable with how close B seemed to be getting with with Jan. Again, she's... 10 years old at this point. Uh, but still, it's the 70s. Um, so, and I'm gonna, we'll get to that and what that means pretty quickly here. Um, so, one day after school, B comes by and he really wants to take Jan horseback riding. And, you know, she's kind of hesitant. It's a school night. She's got her order of things to do, get dinner ready, and all this. But he, he really talks her into it. So, they head off and they don't come back, they don't return that night. Friday goes by, and the parents still don't call anybody as to not upset B's wife, Gail. Um, this is now over 24 hours that their daughter's been missing with, with B, and uh, they, they don't want to upset Gail. But then, that was Thursday night, they disappeared. On Saturday, Marianne calls the FBI, but when they simply ask her to call a regional office there in Idaho, she decides it's not worth getting people... Quote, worked up over nothing. So she doesn't follow up until five days have now gone by. No, like I said, it's the 70s. So there isn't, like you said, Tut, you kind of alluded to this. There's not a story on the internet every day about a kid disappearing and getting raped and left dead in the woods. There's not, you know, you can't look at your phone and not see that now or watch the news and not. Sti- that, that wasn't a, a that
2: stuff that stuff happened in New York City in our but in the it was just you know kids but even then it, it didn't it didn't kids.
1: but even then it didn't happen every day in New York City right. like this is such a I can under I can understand from this at this time why their brains wouldn't even fathom that, and that I mean that you know, granted that doesn't
2: well it, that, it doesn't for me it doesn't mean that they it, it was, okay for me it doesn't mean that um. That they should be worried that B has kidnapped their kid. I do think that they should have been worried that something happened. Like to maybe they would get in
1: their car and retrace the tracks. Let me ask you this, Scott. This is kind of where I'm going here. As a documentarian, did you press them at all on these huge lapses of judgment? Why didn't you go retrace their steps to the horse thing? Why didn't you, you know, try to find if they, you know, had a car accident or if they had. I am assuming they just left it to the police to do all this it themselves. It was
2: the 70s. Maybe devil worshippers got them.
1: Possibly, but did did yeah. you? Did, I, I imagine there'd be a delicate balance between you want to maintain a level of them being comfortable with you to where they you can continue and, and go through the their entire story. But you know, did you have to pull back a little bit when when did you ever want to I, confront them on this stuff? But you're like, you know what? That's not going to get me where we need to go.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't. I don't. Feel like I ever really had to pull back. Um, I did talk to them. I I did push them pretty pretty substantially on on telling these stories um, and and really kind of reaching back into the recesses of their memories and 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 what came out, you know, I was like, why did it happen? And there's part of it being 45 years ago, so memory is what memory is. But but they had certainly, you know, they did they did end up calling the police and said, Well, have there been any car accidents? And they had said, No, there have been no car accidents. So they did do a little bit, but never they never said anything like, My daughter is missing and we're wondering where she is. They had just sort of created this these things in their minds where they were like, They could have gotten in an accident, you know, should we call and ask about that, or could these various different things happen. And so they'd never really followed through. And it, it was always really interesting because I think in talking with the Brobergs, you know, pushing them, like they didn't mind that. They, they really want, they want the story to be out there. They want to tell the truth as much as possible because I think there's part of them that feels like maybe they haven't told the truth as much as they could. And, and so now is their, their opportunity. Not that they haven't told the truth, but that they've left certain things out to protect themselves. And, and with this, you know, with pushing this, it just it just didn't really feel like there was anything really wrong because he was such a good friend that it just didn't seem like he would ever hurt Jan. And so it, he had not given them any reason to push further. And that's that's where I think you can really tell that the trouble first begins.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And when, when you put it that way, you know, it's kind of, if, if there was that, intimacy, that friendship there. I mean it'd be like, you know, I've known Cody since high school. It'd be like, you know, if you went on you know, granted five <laughs> days. But still, it would never cross my mind. It would cross my mind something bad happened. But that's, it yeah, would never cross my that's, that's the thing. It if would never cross my happened, mind that you would yeah. you would, you know, be <laughs> doing something nefarious. Um well the FBI finally gets involved but their friends, their neighbors, the church, and even Jan's uh, parents themselves seem to all give B a pass. Even at this point, um, here's a question that I had, and I'm glad you did it the way you did. Let me preface this with: I think you made the right call. Did you ever think about digging into the Mormons, to the Church of Latter Day Saints, and that kind of? You know, they met him through the church. It was very briefly kind of alluded to that, you know, the church had some history with him and his problems. And um, I think going that angle, one, I think you've got a tight running time at 90 minutes and you're keeping the focus on the real bad guy. And I think if you had diverted into this kind of examination of the way the church operates and all that, I think it would be taking focus away from B where it doesn't need to leave B. And I didn't think it was necessary but do you did you consider it? Yeah. yeah, like
3: every day when we were editing it it was always wanting to look at this further, and it's I just it's exactly what you're talking about because every day I was like, not every day, but when we get to this, I'm like, let's try to dig into this a little bit deeper, And when we would do that. It was this rabbit hole. It was just this this whole kind of spiraling down another path. And it was fascinating and completely perplexing and interesting. But it was such a, a departure from this family. And the, and,
1: and the story, I think. Because, I mean, you could do that in a million different points. I mean, you could have gone off on B's childhood at this weird place that he was raised and that could have taken you down a whole nother wormhole, like you said. Yeah. You're so engrossed in the story, you want to learn every little angle of this. But at the at the end of the day, I think I think you did it right. It's all about this one guy. Don't you know? From a storytelling, what what got me captivated? I think I would have gotten. The more, a lot of documentaries do that for me. They they veer often to too many. But
2: at the same time, I think that that's something that that is an interesting question to people because that that's one of the things that my wife w- want, wants to know. She was like, you yeah. know, do you think what role
3: that, did the LDS faith play?
2: Yeah, do you think that the LDS, uh, because this is going to be a running theme about them taking or being inactive in reaching out to people. Did the, did LDS have a role in that inaction? Yeah, that's, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely think that I, I think it's, I think it's beyond that even. It's not only did they have a role in the inaction, um, but I, but I also feel like they had a role in kind of opening the door, right? Because so they, so Birch told is a member of the LDS church. And so because of that, he kind of automatically gets the stamp of approval. He's a good guy. He's part of the church. He's part of a community. So you can trust him without any further question. Right. And, and I don't think that's LDS specific. I think no, that's, that's,
2: yeah, that's church, think, church culture.
3: Yeah. It's church culture. It's, um, it's also patriarchal institutions, you know, NFL football. I mean, if you, if you go even further than this, you find this across the board when we're thinking about these high, high, high-profile sexual abuse cases. So, absolutely, I think that the LDS faith kind of opened the door, and in the 70s especially, there weren't the background checks that are happening now. Right. There weren't, um, you know, if somebody's getting put in charge of youth groups or taking people out on these trips, there's I think always, I don't know, I don't go to church, I'm, I'm not religious, but my understanding is that there are background checks and very, very detailed background checks.
2: Yeah, but back but then,
3: then. Nothing. There was nothing. Yeah, and,
2: and you didn't question that. I mean, there there weren't so many stories. Like, now it's like every time that there's a story that comes out about a church. Uh, a priest. A priest molesting. Let's just go ahead and throw it out there. Um uh, you know, now we almost don't bat an eye because those stories come out so often, but in the 70s growing up, those stories weren't there.
1: Yeah, Nobody well, were, talked about that. They were there. They yeah, they were there, were, but
2: nobody talked about sure.
1: it. Sure. Um, well, during this, the FBI's learning uh, during this time that B has had an infatuation with young girls before, but this, as you, to your point, uh, this is all so new to them. The lead FBI agent on the case, he'd never heard of the word pedophile before. Mm-hmm. That's a great little kind of yeah. throwaway comedic little line in there. Like I'm sure it was in the dictionary, but I he mean, you never even heard the, the term just, pedophile
5: Just stranger danger.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. That was it, that's, yeah. Which is odd because you, that's my that, wife's name. Yeah, that's man. what you call
1: your wife.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really?
2: <laughs> well, we met. We actually met on Facebook, and she uh, Facebook stalked me, sent me an unsolicited private message, and then that was my first words to her, stranger danger.
1: And then she gave you some of your allergy medicine. She gave me
2: some allergy pills, and you know <laughs> no. we got married. Okay.
1: Um, well, so weeks go by with B taking. Oh wait a minute!
2: I'm sorry. I got one more thing. I don't know whether um, it's hard for me because we 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 do we work in fiction. We don't really work in documentaries, and so it's hard for me to say that. I really love the character of the detective. He was a good character. He really was because he was real. I mean, because he's a real
4: person. Yeah.
3: Right. Well, and I also believe that he he gives that he's a voice that he's dependable, right? And throughout the rest of it, you don't know who's really dependable, and that that that's a challenging thing. But at the same time, um, when we're thinking about you know the context of where the FBI was and Stranger Danger, and it was I think 1974. I mean, I think we're all reasonably the same age. But but in nineteen seventy four I think was the first time where a, a kid's picture first appeared. It was Eitan Potts on the, the um milk. Carton.
2: Oh wow. Yeah.
3: There were all these kids that were kidnapped by strangers who had disappeared seemingly by strangers and it was seventy four, which is which is the same year, but mm. it wasn't this prevalent thing and then I think right. it was the same year where Stockholm syndrome really came into play. But that was in Stockholm. Yeah. So that idea of falling in love with your captor or of of kids being abducted by people that they know, it was really, really, really a foreign concept. That's
2: the one thing that's really difficult with this documentary is that, especially with younger friends of mine, is that they don't understand just how different it was.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, weeks go by with B taking Jan cross-country in a motorhome and here's where things uh, take a you know, cinematic turn. We've had a lot of, um, you know, very good-looking interview footage and some of the archival stuff. But here's where you, Sky, begin intercutting new footage that you've shot on eight millimeter to recreate portions of the story. And I think these recreations are what elevates this insane story past like a, a 2020 or a Dateline NBC. Like, I feel like I'm watching a film. I don't feel like I'm I'm watching.
2: Yeah. Yeah. True
1: crime TV or whatever I mean the, you know you're a filmmaker, of course it's gonna pour out of you in, in one way and you do it in these rec- these recreations and I think that's why the story beyond the the subject matter, I think that's why this doc is you know really grabbing people because like guys like us who don't normally do documentaries, um, there is a cinematic presence to it, and
2: I can't, I can't and stress I can't stress enough how good your decision is to go without HD on these recreations because there's no jarring at all when you're watching them. When you're when you're going in between archival footage and recreated footage, there's no like, oh, this is obviously not it's, it's oh, it's, so it's seamless.
1: absolutely seamless. Um, I got to okay. give you a, a quick shout out here, Sky. Okay. I'm a uh, I'm Facebook friendly with an Australian film producer. His name's Ant Timpson. Uh, He's produced some of our favorite flicks we've featured here on the podcast. He produced Turbo Kid and Deathgasm. Yeah. And he actually posted um, a a post on Facebook about Sky's film, Abducted in Plain Sight, and he specifically mentioned uh, just how well the original content that Sky shot added, you know, one, just the quality of it. You could tell it was shot on 8mm and what depth it gave to the film. And, you know, that's from a guy over in Australia. You know, world's... I mean, it's just, like you've said, friends, you know, that you normally don't share anything with. I mean, that just shows you how far the film has spread. And I think yeah. I think these little touches are wh- why it has, it has spread. Any schlub with a, you know, with an HD camera could interview these people and it would be fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... Every day on TV, there's there's Jerry Springer with these kind of stories. That's nuts. It's not.
2: Well, Scott, I just want to know how you got uh, Jerry and P- uh, Jeremy Piven to come on board and drop all that weight for your <laughs> recreations. It was such a good gift. You thought you thought B looked like Jeremy
3: Piven. I did. I a did. Bit? That's so funny. Uh, yeah, He was great to work with. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm gonna get. To, I'm gonna actually get to your cast uh, a little bit a little bit later. I want to talk about them. Because that wasn't easy what they had to do, um, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. Yeah. Um, we now—I was going to go with the cigar, but let me get through this first. No,
2: no, no. Yeah. Uh,
1: keep your cigar thoughts in the back of your head. Well, we now learn that B's plan is far more intricate than just kidnapping Jan. Um, he's been planning this for a while. Yeah, brace yourself. He's not only previously developed a flirtatious, bordering on sexual relationship with Jan's mother. But he somehow talked fairly easily from what we hear Jan's father Bob, into giving him a hand job when B expresses frustration with his sex life at home during a drive out in the country Now that's friendship, yeah, that is friendship. you, you boys could learn something no, 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 we learn nothing uh doing a little backed up, Cody huh? no. Man, we've had a... Like, you mentioned Drunk Dad earlier. We've done a lot of movies with drunk dads on the show. This is our first hand job dad. It is. Yes. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something, which I probably am. The movies we do, there's probably been a handjob dad. you probably
2: are. Dude.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jan's dad, uh, uh, Pleasures B. He's making out with Jan's mom. He even... For some reason, this bothered me more than her kissing him. He even talks... Mary Ann Jan's mom into bringing him sandwiches up to work like he'll call her and be like my wife was like oh hell no I'm hungry can you bring me a sandwich up to the store like that that almost was like on the hand job level with me I was like I don't know this guy uh, that's uh, actually was crazy I mean obviously I think the hand job revelation is the one that everybody just did you know about the hand job prior
3: so So here's the thing. So it was not in the book, um, and there had been like Birch Told had kind of put out this manifesto or this book, um, and we had a few pages of it, and we searched everywhere and couldn't really find this book anywhere. It was never printed, you know. Um, but um, there are a few pages of it, and this is this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. And I had in it, a, I had a feeling
1: said, this is where you.
3: I know, right? Yeah. In it, he'd said something about a homosexual relationship with the father, and I, when I read those pages, because they were they were very graphic and they were very um, just easy to dismiss, kind of, and I dismissed it and continued on doing research and doing all of this stuff, and then when we finally were able to get transcripts from the court hearing um we had you know the court reporter kind of had had put everything out and we had read the transcripts and it it sort of validated that this had happened and it was this really very teachable moment for me because i was like don't dismiss anything you don't have to believe everything but don't dismiss anything when you're doing research and and then So I'd found out about that and then I talked to the FBI agent and he had confirmed that that had happened. And so when we went to go interview Bob, I had no, I knew about this. Nobody had told me about it from the family. They didn't know that I knew about this and I just really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to ask him about it. Um, and, and we sort of got into the interview and, and, Keep in mind that this is a 10, 8 or 10 hour long interview. It was a long interview and we talked about a lot of different things. And And I think we gained a lot of Bob's trust and I think he really liked telling us about his life and his story and have us be kind of logging that story. Not, not about the car incident certainly, but, but about his love for his family and his love for his florist business and, and everything that he had done. And eventually, I think, I think he just really wanted to get this off his chest. He'd never talked about it publicly before. His family knew knew about it, but they had never told us about it. And I think it was, I think it was a real kind of cathartic moment for him to tell mm-hmm. us about it. He may, and even at the end, he said, "I don't, I can't believe I told you girls this." Uh-huh. And, um. I'm not sure if he regretted it. He may have regretted it, um, but I, for me, it all of the pieces of this puzzle started to really fall into place. Oh yeah,
2: it's a the key, it's a key piece. Hey, he, quick, hey, quick question when you're when you're in this interview, was this something that he volunteered after like a soft questioning, or were you like you're on the hot seat, Bob? Did this happen?
3: You know, he volunteered it, and it was it was less than a soft question. It was more of a. Um, I didn't even question. I mean, I was kind of really asking about the relationship and and how he felt about Birchtold and how he was part of the family and all of that. And he really, it wasn't me probing at all. I think he was very. I honestly think he was really ready to talk about it in a in a public way and. And and he was pretty forthcoming.
1: That's how it comes across. It comes across. He's just chronologically telling, yeah, you his perspective of everything that happened in the story, and that's part of it. Yeah. Um, it's it, I do one quick question. You mentioned the length of your interview with Bob. Yeah. I noticed that, like with Marianne, she had some wardrobe changes. It seemed like you had maybe interviewed her over several days. Was Bob a one shot? Was he? Because he never changed clothes. Was
3: he right? We did, we did do two. Um, so, so the first, the first round of interviews, they were all eight or 10 hours long. And we did a day with, with, well, all. I mean, we did a day with Marianne and then the next day we did Bob on our first pass of interviews and we had done Jan it was our first interview. And then we also did Susan and hers wasn't as long because she was so much younger and didn't really remember. Sure. And then we went away and edited and Got a lot more court documents and information to sort of piece things together. And about a year after that, we went back and interviewed Jan and Bob a second time. And, and the second time around, we had some pretty clear intentions with Marianne, just to clarify some points. Uh, but with, and, and, and that was true with Bob too. Um, but, but Bob, but really, there weren't that many points that we needed clarified with Bob. I mean, there were a couple, but they didn't—they just didn't end up making it in the cut. And and really, what he had given us in our first interview, he was so transparent and so open and so so wonderful that 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 was really all that we needed.
1: Yeah, I I, I can see that. Um, well, real quick before I get the cigar, B knew that this groundwork he was laying. From starting a relationship with the mom to the hand job with it was the dad, all
2: predicated on one thing.
1: It was all working to where it would come out to his advantage down the line, which it sure did. It's so methodical, so sick. And here's where I wanted to kind of give you kudos to your cast who recreate these scenes because they're doing it without the benefit of dialogue. Uh, most of their recre- recreations, we hear voiceover from the the player, you know, the actual participants. Um I mean that's not easy to do especially for the guy playing B um you know that's you are you're being you know directed by sky to to you know to do these things and it's 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 all physical I mean it's it's just all a strictly physical performance I thought I thought you know your your cast was really good
3: They were great I mean it's in and it's it's a little bit sad in in a documentary like this because because Nobody really talks about the cast, right? Because they're they're kind of these props, I guess. But but it was such a it's such a difficult thing uh, for Devin, who was who was our Birch told, to be that character.
1: Yeah, that's why I want to give him a shout out because you're right. These guys don't typically get a lot of their, you know, like like on yeah. 2020
2: and yeah, and, and I... Dateline.
1: They're usually in black and white and. And in slow motion. And I was gonna, uh, I was
2: gonna ask you a little bit about that. Can you go into like what's the thought process in the communication? How you're trying to work with the actors during the recreation part? I mean, like, do they know the story? Or are you, are you just giving a little bit, little glimpses?
3: They know the story, and and I, and I might get some criticism for this, but I felt it was especially important to talk with Lainey Rhodes who is who played our our young Jan. Oh god. I think
4: it's
3: really important to talk to her about what she was doing to not kind of say to not give her a different idea about what she's doing and then we use it in a different way in the film, you know? It would be a lot um,
1: easier. It'd be a lot easier but n- not fair. It'd be
3: easier. Um I don't know like fair, I don't know. I don't know if it would be fair, but I Oh,
1: I don't think so. I don't think if you tell a little girl that, you know, lay on the bed and I want you to picture riding a merry-go-round. Right. And it gets stuck and you're scared and just think about how scared you are. And then you use that that expression of hers for a a rape scene. Like, you know, Sky Borgman's just made an enemy for life.
3: Right, right, yeah. But I think even beyond that, like I wanted, you know, I I wanted to open up a really – a really transparent dialogue so that she and her mother too sure. knew what the story was about what we were doing and and how important I felt the story was to, to to tell and and she was she was great and we didn't you know I mean I don't I don't think the recreations were were that explicit I mean no, there was never I am, much I mean
1: hold that, the, the hold, the, that much. hold that thought I'm going to get back to that because <laughs> You and I filmed some pretty uh, <laughs> intense intense stuff ten years ago, and I think you may have trumped me. Just me. Be- hold that thought. Okay. Uh, before we move on, Tut, uh, you're at the halfway mark. Um, Cody, I can't see your cigar, yes. but I'm, I'm assuming we're all well halfway through.
2: About halfway through, yeah. Uh, I'm liking it. Yeah, I, I am too. It's not a. There's not a lot of transition to it. Uh, it's just got that nice little, uh, that spicy leather that's kind of kicked into it. Uh, more, It's more mineral and more uh, uh, more leather-based i earth uh, I'm getting that, con- I'm getting well. that
1: Connecticut Broadleaf uh, Liga style. Yeah, um, which I
2: was about to say, where was, where the, filler, was the, ba- the I'm the sorry, tobacco I'm sorry
1: from? Uh, the Connecticut Broadleaf. Didn't you say Honduras. It's a Ecuadorian Sumatra Oscuro Wrapper. The binder is Connecticut Broadleaf. The filler is Nika and Honduras. Okay. But the, you're right, the there's a little bit of that Nicaraguan earth. I'm getting chocolate. I'm still getting that Andes mint. Ever since the, you said the, that the I chocolate
5: can't. has been very strong here in chocolate the middle for me. Chocolate for big me. time.
1: I'm getting a real a real nice uh, rich chocolate note. And uh, the spice has died down on the
2: nose. It comes yeah. and goes.
1: It yeah. so okay. some it's there and it's but, it's gone. I mean construction's it, good.
2: Construction's good. I love the feel of this thing. It does have a little oily touch to the fingers, but when you're looking at it, it's just rustic as all get out. It's yeah, not, I mean, it it's, just not looks, shiny. It,
5: it's almost shiny. It's basically almost like dried leather, but, you know, you, you feel it, and you're just like... Yeah, I was a little bit worried. I, my uh, scar's pretty veiny,
1: um, but uh, it's kind of... Moved, but, I mean, I got a perfect burn it is, line. It
2: is veiny. The, no, the burn lines are awesome. The ash is great, uh... What kind of podcast are you guys doing over there? We talk about big <laughs> veiny things and uh, good mouthfeel. No, it, no, it actually does have a good mouthfeel, good uh, um, it does good smoke profile it, man, it, to it. it, it uh, it's a well constructed I'm spot. really, I'm
1: really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, chocolate, uh, mint, earth, come and go spice on the nose. Perfect construction so far. I'm digging it, and uh, it's going really well. I'm, I'm, I'm liking the beer. Yes.
2: Yeah, well, the the good thing about the beer is that uh, I really like what Unibrew offers, but unfortunately, I can't really tell a lot of difference between some of the... I can't tell the difference between this and the Toulamont.
1: I don't really remember the Toulamont. <laughs> I woke up the next day like I had been at a Megadeth concert. <laughs> uh... Yeah, it, it's just it, it's 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 you got that fruitiness, uh, it's very subtle sweet and nothing. I don't like sweet beers, but it's got some a little. It's got that bite on the front end that kind of lets you know that it's you're good mix, it. man. Unibrew yeah. knows how to do complexity. and They know how to 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 give you flavors. Uh, kudos, Sky. Have you ever smoked a cigar?
3: Uh, I puffed a cigar.
1: Well, you live out in I mean, California. You, you can't to, you can't smoke anywhere. Can you smoke in your own house in California anymore?
3: Yeah.
1: No. no like we you can a, sm- a, you smoke weed. I smoke weed yeah. everywhere, but
3: well, now you can, yes, yes. But I do remember, as a kid growing up in Oregon, my dad would sit out on the patio, and he would take his his little snifter, what do you call him, of drambuie, and he would sit out with his drambuie and his cigar on the porch, and I could see that little red tip of the cigar in the black night, and I'd go back there, and he he'd push the drambuie over to me, and I was young, um, and I would just smell it, and my whole like my nose just was on fire. <laughs> And and then he'd pass the cigar over and he's like just blow on it, just blow on it. Right. And so I take, like go puff, 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 and it was, I just love those memories with my dad.
2: I want to uh, hang out with your dad after that. You, description.
1: you should. Sky mentioned it briefly. Uh, the name of the documentary is.
3: Oh, it, junk dreams.
1: Junk yeah. dreams. Uh, she sent me the DVD when she first fixed it, and oh my god, uh, you you would have really gotten along with her dad and her uncle uh it, it was it was, a, it was a really uh you captured your 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 family in, incredibly yeah. well um, yeah. okay so we liking the
2: cigar yep liking the beer yep we're liking the movie actually yes no pressure I mean it's 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 crazy and disturbed as all get out yeah, subject matter yeah, subject is. matter wise uh but yeah I'm really liking those Okay. You know,
1: it's funny. Uh, the, my New Year's resolution was we weren't going to do any any movies with... For some reason, I just picked this long stream of movies with dick stuff in them. And I'm like, Todd, I promise, no more... And then that handjob scene came up, and I'm like... Oh, I couldn't <laughs> I <can't> even, pick, <laughs> even get away from I, it. I, I couldn't pick a documentary without getting some... Uh, sorry. All right. I have to ask Sky... As Jan's mom went on and on very openly about how B made her feel in ways that her husband Bob couldn't or hadn't in a long time. She used the words, he made her flutter. It wasn't just, you know, the he made me feel special. Okay. Give you that. But she used these adjectives, you know, flutter, and he was very... You know, and just the way she delivered these memories, especially when she goes into, you know, pretty... Good detail about him touching her breasts and her attraction towards him. Did that le- that level of openness and transparency had to catch you by surprise?
3: It's yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't think it did. She knew, really, she knew um, she was
1: she knew she was being filmed for a movie, right?
3: She knew she was being filmed for a movie, but I also think I also think it's really such a big part. of of the story that she was in love with him. And and I just, I I think she really felt that way. I think uh, that there is this sort of distance that you get from being 40 or 45 years removed from the story. I think this is something that she's sort of replayed in her mind time and time and time again. And it's so fascinating to me because Because I've heard, I mean, I hear you saying it and I've heard people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram saying that her reaction was just so strange to them and so kind of in love with Birch told. And, and I, I hear that, but at the same time, I, I think, I think she, she was in love with him. And I think that's, that's part of, part of how this all happened. And I think it's this, also this kind of, like she really wanted us to know what she was going through with and him. I get
1: I get that but for me it wasn't so much that she was in love with him because I got that later when yeah. she, in the story when she actually runs off with him we'll get to that but to me, just reading her her physicality and the way she was saying this, it was like you would talk about someone you had. A pleasant memory of, you know, the way he touched my breast and, like, just the way she. she her, her delivery. Her, her delivery of it was, like, yeah. not the way she was talking about a man who completely destroyed her family. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, you're right. That's what everyone is latching on to, these two parents.
3: Right.
1: And, yeah, yeah. And I get, I, I honestly get her. Going all out with this, you know, it's public record, and I get that. I get it a lot more her openness than I get, like we talked earlier with with Bob, because I mean, this is a guy that still has to go to the grocery store every week, probably in his little small town, still has to see people at the at the bank, and at, you know, and they didn't know what, it's for him to drop that. You know, matzo especially ball.
2: since he hadn't done it before. Especially since he hadn't done it. I didn't realize. I thought before. that that uh, once once I realized that there was a book about this, I thought that it might have been there. But now that I learned no. that it wasn't, I'm like, I wow. Mean, I I understand it's cathartic. I under I understand you know wanting to release that. And now everyone, but still, that's a huge well, decision yeah, to make. Everyone
1: with a Netflix account, first of all, knows kudo, your darkest
2: secrets. First of, of all, one. kudos for getting them that comfortable to actually divulge well, this stuff because that's not an easy thing to do.
1: That's where I was kind of going to give props to Sky. I I know you well enough to I could picture you in these interviews and I could see how you could. Get them at that level of comfort and conversation to where they felt like they were not only able to tell their stories, but that it was the right thing to do, and that it just flowed naturally. I mean, that's just your personality um, to, to to make people kind of. You know, I'm I'm a pretty guarded. I don't like new people. I don't I don't like anybody. But you know, I like Sky. Uh, the minute i the minute i met her and i i just every time something like that would pour out of these people's mouths i just kind of and that's just kind of a, a unique insight i guess i could picture sky sitting on the other side of the camera and i was like you know what man if anybody is gonna get them to that relaxed state of not only just telling the story but feeling like they're a part of something important i could see sky doing that but my God, man! Good job, jeez.
3: Well, I mean, it was it was brutal. I mean, these interviews were but they were hard work. It's brutal,
1: but I mean, when Jan's talking about you know not just I loved him and he you know I really but when she starts going into you know touching the breast and when Bob goes into the the handy, you had as a filmmaker to be making fists with your toes. Like this is good shit. Like this is amazing I, amazing stuff.
3: It's funny I I maybe I was like I what I remember the most is just sort of sitting behind the camera crying with them.
4: Yeah.
3: And being with them and and just experiencing this and feeling their 45 years of regret and guilt and shame and um and just kind of being with them there in that moment. Um the one time the one time I felt some sort of like, yeah, I got this, was was the last line of the film, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, but it was hard work getting to the end of the film. And and that was the really the only moment that I really remember going, I finally have the ending of my movie when yeah. Jan delivered the point.
2: I'm, I'm kind of curious because I, okay, first of all, I'm not even trying to equate the two. But I yeah. do a lot of, uh, corporate interviews with fundraising interviews and charity interviews. Right. And, you know, we delve everything from like selling a widget to, you know, surviving cancer. Um, right. and, you know, sometimes there's, you know, we'll do an interview with, uh, soldiers that have returned home. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm in these interviews and there are a lot of raw emotions that come out in the interview, And there are, like, I've had people with me in these interviews that as soon as those raw emotions are present, they're kind of like, yeah, I got this. But in a weird way, I'm kind of like looking through the lens going, yes, it's cool. Yes, the emotion's there. But you also, I almost felt like I had a a duty to protect people in a way. Did that ever come across as your, I I understand that you're trying to, to get to the truth of the matter, but... Did you ever have to, you know, combat that, you know, yay raw emotion that translates good on film versus, you know, protecting people from themselves?
3: Uh, in editing, not in the interviews, right. but in editing. Yes. That that certainly sort of came to play in that, and it was really interesting because when we when we shot the first round of interviews, uh, we had we we brought someone with us who was a, a journalist and. And, it, and she had such a very different perspective on these interviews because she's like, you don't feel emotion, you just go through the story, you don't feel emotion. And I was behind the camera, going, <laughs> you know, sort of crying with them and asking and like really sort of being with them. And it was this very different. She's like, you can't feel emotion as a journalist. I'm like, but I, I but I'm not a journalist. I don't, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, I want to be with these people in this emotion. So, so in that in that instance like when we were interviewing them it was very much that I went through such a completely huge range of emotions during the editing process yeah how can you not believing, disbelieving trusting, not trusting caring, not caring and all of these different things because you spend so much time and it was really just, the editing was so much so much more challenging for me, honestly, than the interviews were. Because the interviews, yeah. I just had to be with them. And that that's an easy thing to do, just be with someone. But the, but the editing was tough. It was really tough.
1: I can see that. Um, yeah. Well, B played this family like a violin at the local Saps convention. And it's all going according to his master plan. Everything, to a T, is falling into place. We also learned that B earlier on um, had come to Jan's parents and confessed that he had received counseling. And this is where we we were kind of on break, kind of had a a disagreement, which Sky yeah. can clear up. He had received counseling through the church. Um, I'm assuming for they did, it's not specifically stated, but for his. Uh, predilection for little girls and they had recommended as part of his ongoing therapy that he lay in bed alone and unsupervised with Jan in her bedroom at night and no questions asked uh, Bob and Marianne agreed to let him do that.
2: Okay, now my I just want to make crystal clear was that there was a psychologist who who told him to do that. Well, it was a un, a, a disbarred. It was, un, it was unlicensed and it was but disbarred. You, but you
1: guys took that as that had happened after Jan had returned from the first kidnapping. No I, no, I I I understood that as something that happened prior, and this was part of right. his. Right. That, that happened before the first kidnapping, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. And so oh, it's it's interesting oh, because this is where right. this is where it gets this is where it gets somewhat complicated because it's it's. You know, what is the truth, what is not the truth. Hi. <laughs> are you live? I'm live right now. My friend Yoana just came home, she's staying with us. Hey, um, how are you doing? So, <laughs> so 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 it, it becomes very interesting because because it's like what is the truth and what is not the truth? And this is where the dot got really complicated because because we have what Birch told said, but we don't have what the therapist said. So he would come in saying, this is what the therapist told me. And we, it doesn't appear in the documentary, but we actually did talk to a forensic psychologist and an expert on kidnapping. And the forensic psychologist was like, look, even in the 70s, there's no way a therapist would ever say, take these tapes and go lay down with a 12-year-old little girl and you will get over your, yeah. Right. So the idea was that that he had been given these tapes from a therapist, licensed or not, right? In this case, not. That he had been given these tapes, and he had talked to his therapist about trying to improve sexual relations with his wife. And so we gave him this tapes that
4: are
3: like. that he took those tapes, with the headphones on and went in and lay down next to Jan.
1: That that I wasn't clear on. So that tape was made to improve his sexual relationship with his wife.
3: Well, it's kind of like I don't know, but uh, that's, that's what uh, the thinking is. Well it just no, comes across question.
1: it just comes across as just completely wrong and bizarre and I believed it. Whereas I thought this psycho quack, unlicensed psychiatrist made him these really bizarre tapes that yeah. like listen to yeah. these about molesting a twelve year old girl and you yeah. want you want if, if you, you listen it. if you listen to these you won't actually have to do it and he's like yeah, well you'll I can get, build
5: up an immunity I can no get, it doesn't work right. that way
1: <laughs> I can get double the fun I can listen to the tapes while I molest a twelve year old girl. Actually, right. this leads this leads me into. Well, that's good film filmmaking where my, all three of us had kind of different ideas of what that was.
3: Or the, bad filmmaking, like that's a good question. You,
1: <laughs> you've seen my films, Sky. I like that. I, I like confusing. <laughs> Confusion is good.
2: I, I actually that leads me into one of my only real personal questions. It is probably like my only real criticism with the documentary is that did you ever. I'm trying to figure out because you're nice enough to hang out and drink beer and do all this stuff. No,
3: yeah, uh, bring it. It's
2: fine. Okay, so I can, I can understand... No, I can't. I can't understand how there this guy can be that charismatic. I mean, I've okay. met some very charismatic people. I've met some people that I would run through walls for. I yeah. don't think I have met this kind of charismatic Deal. was there ever a time where you're like you know what we need this psychologist to explain this we need this expert in the field to to come in and lead and give a little gravitas to be
3: yeah totally i mean and that's why we did these two interviews and then and then it was this really interesting thing that ended up happening because we did these two long amazing interviews and both of these women had done this great research into the case and then we had cut it in at one point and it started to feel like kind of this educational documentary. Like they were kind of you see something and you explain it. You see something, you explain it. Right. And, and there was part of me that was like, I just really want to stay with the family. And and I kind of wanted there to be some confusion. Like how can this happen? And, you should and never
2: have made that movie with Cade. I, oh. <laughs> my,
1: my, my esotericness rubbed off on her a little bit. Sky, are you on record as saying with no, without underbelly, there would be no abducted in plain sight? No, I'll
3: never. I'll don't never say that. Ever. You'll never say that. I will say it. Never. <laughs> we have that on
4: record.
2: No, I kind of, I kind of figured that there, that there was actually, you know, when you're in the editing room and you're cutting through this thing, I was like, there's no way that, that she had to have done this, and then it was an editorial decision. So i I'm, I'm glad you kind of clarified that. I've I just. Like I said, I, I think that there's a lot of people that are looking at this and say, there's no way this guy could be that charismatic.
1: But you know what? I, to to, Sky, I know. to Sky's point, and I, and I mentioned it earlier on things that elevate the, the, the recreated footage, and rather than veering off into the church stuff, sticking with the real bad guy, let's focus on B and the family, let's keep it here. Let's keep it at ninety minutes instead of going to one hundred and twenty minutes right. and go all these different directions. Bring in a talking shrink and all that, because then you know, like Sky said, you start to become Stone Phillips. You start to become. Uh, well, I, well, I definitely understand something we've seen before,
2: and this isn't this story deserves to be told in a way we don't normally get these well, stories. Well, I definitely understand the fact that you don't want to. Here is the scenario, and now here is the guy who tell you just what you saw. I mean that no, I'll 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 get I'll I, skip over that. I uh,
1: you know and I and I'm, I am this would be a good place. I didn't even think about. I, I don't have this in my notes to talk about. But are you are you guys planning a a, a Blu Ray a DVD release with some of this? Uh, you know, I'm mountain you have a mountain of of like the like you said the psychiatrist interviews. Yeah. The are you are you guys gonna get that stuff out well. there at some point?
3: You know, it's such a phenomenal idea, and at this point, I'm like, I think it's a little too late. I mean, it's not too late for that. Like, it's it's a matter of sort of reincorporating that idea in a different way. Like, Blu-rays are out, they're available, they've been burned, they're there, but I think that it's certainly worthwhile to kind of cut some of these uh, expert interviews together and just put them up for anybody to see on the website. Yeah. And and I think it would be incredible because they, like we at one point, Stephanie Toby, one of the producers like had put together this little podcast, um, it's one episode, it's not, a po- I, I don't know, but it's like one thing where she put some of the interviews together and they do provide an incredible amount of insight and I think they're really, really helpful for people who are sort of going beyond just the entertainment, if you can call it entertainment value right. of this film, to really getting some great information. These expert interviews really they they really really provide some great insight. So so it's something that's certainly worth working on to just provide it on the website for anybody to see.
2: I'll, I'll tell you, I'll I'll watch that because one of the that's conversations great. that my wife and I had is that it's not the fact that I didn't believe that there that someone this could be this charismatic because I know I'm a fan of history. I know that they're out there, but I've never met a June Jones. I've never met a Mansfield. Okay. I've never met a Rasputin. I know. But yeah. but those are those. I mean, that's the level that B is. I mean, that's the kind of charisma we're talking about.
1: A Matthew McConaughey.
2: Oh yeah, I would, I would, I would, yeah. <laughs> All right.
4: Well, no, let, no, no, no. I'm let, not. Let, I'm
2: let, not giving McConaughey get back, a handy. Let, I'm let, sorry. Let's get
1: back on that. You totally would give Matthew McConaughey a handy. Uh, after what, a couple beers, man. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. So as B lays in bed with Jan. We're talking four nights a week for six months le- leading up to the first kidnapping. He plays these creepy cassette tapes with the therapist's voice. What we now know, talking to Sky, was the therapist describing how to improve he and his wife's sex lives. And he's laying there with this, this young girl. That's and, of course... this is what we think. That's what we think. Which is the I mean, most plausible
3: I think
2: so too. Yeah. I hate possible. to say this, but anybody that's like that never happens. They never record that stuff. Go look, watch Punisher because it's in Punisher well,
1: too. Well, let me ask you this, Sky. So much of the yeah. audio we're hearing is actual audio. That yeah. stuff on the tape was that actual audio?
3: Yeah.
1: You actually got a, how'd you get a hold of the, all these audio tapes? FBI. They had it all.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. And it was look it it. This is one of these instances where it just—it really helped our film so much because the—the the, the recordings of Birch told, the these audio recordings, even though we didn't know exactly what the purpose was or where they came from or what was what the surrounding circumstances were, we were able to to kind of piece it together from what Jan had said and what yeah. Jan had said and Birch told. But these all. Except for the alien voices. The alien voices were the only things that we recreated.
4: Yeah.
3: All of the telephone conversations, all of the audio tapes, all of the Birch Toll voices, all of Jan and Birch Toll together, all of those are real.
1: What is that? Then, it, I, don't, I don't want to get off into a, a tangent that some people might not find interesting, but as a documentarian... Uh, do you just file a, a thing with the FBI, and you just get a, a, a giant file of, of audio tapes? Yeah. Or?
3: yeah, I wish it was that easy. Um, yes, you file something with the FBI, and, and then there's something called the Freedom of Information Act, and if anything is over 35 years old, then you have access to it, if they still have it. And this is where it's going to become very interesting from this point and into the future – because digitizing of records has been happening for a while, but not really 40 years ago or 45 years ago. Right. So, so I mean, what I imagine is some Indiana Jones style warehouse with tons and tons and tons of boxes of records in it mm-hmm. that probably has been flooded a couple of times because it's, I imagine, it in a basement somewhere. Um, and then a person has to go and find these records. And so it, it costs a fair amount of money to hire that person to go and search for this stuff. Um, when we did all of that the FBI told us that the records had been destroyed and I can't tell you how lucky we were because when we talked to, to Pete the FBI agent that we interviewed in the film he had kept some of the records oh, and had go. had the audio tapes okay. and gave us this big lawyer box full of stuff and we and he didn't want us to take it with us He and so we had brought this Nagra recorder and I brought an intern with us the magical intern, sure, uh, who, <laughs> who was like, while we were doing the interview, she was scanning and she was recording and she was doing all of this stuff, um, and um, and it just it just gave us such great insight because we had you know five pictures of Birch Told and no interview with him. You, so it, I,
1: I, I will say this: we mentioned yeah. earlier, you could you could have made this film without the archival footage the 8mm original the of the family yeah. footage i don't believe you could have as juicy as this story is as enthralling as the narrative and the characters are i don't think the film would be what it is without the audio component it just wouldn't be
3: i agree i mean
1: you can't re- it, you can't recreate that
3: it gave us his character and i can't tell you like i had so like i tried so many times to have people do Readings, a voiceover of Birchfield, and I had so many different takes of it of actors doing it, and there was nothing, nothing that was as chilling as hearing his voice reading the same words, and it was just
5: yeah, that that's what I was going to ask. What was it?
3: What
5: was it like just listening that first time? I guess to this was a living demon. I mean,
3: yeah, it it was just the most it was chilling because, you know, and it's also this weird thing because you're taking tapes, like not VHS tapes, audio tapes. And you're sticking them in a recorder that I like ordered off of eBay and listening to it. And then I, I'd, I'd gone to a, a sound house here in LA and, and rented an auger and a tape. And so you're like taking these tapes and like winding it around on these reels and then listening to it. It was just chilling. And it was really that moment where I said, this is who this man is and this is how we can kind of represent who this man is. Yes. Because literally we had we had nothing else that I felt would really give him any kind of substance besides his brother. I think his brother gives oh,
2: him yeah, I'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no yep. hang, hang on real quick because uh, because you have a background in film and especially as a DP as well how is the thought process going into or is there a thought process to where like I've got to really I, I really want to make this creepy as all fuck
4: yeah
2: or do you just let it play out?
1: are you asking well, with, as far as like putting effects on the audio well, or? yeah
2: I mean I mean just like just from a just from a, a I mean when you're in the editing room and you're putting all this together and you're like Oh, this is just creepy as all get out. I'm going to do this versus just like your journalist friend said. No, strip your emotion out of there and just go you know, with the story.
3: The the audio recordings. Um, some of them were. Uh, I don't know if it was the age of the tape or the way that it was recorded. Some of them were kind of like um, uh, not slow motion, but like stretched out. Right. Know, the audio right. Was stretched. So we did go back in and we kind of uh, squeezed that together. I don't even know the right terms for this, but squeezed it together so it sounded normal.
2: Right. You, um, you sped it up a little bit to correct for it.
3: There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I was, I, I was going to say that. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, beyond that, we didn't do anything. I mean, it had that, that crispy, crunchy sort of audio recording quality, and uh, we didn't we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to it. Yeah, if there's no anything, substitute for the correct. real thing.
1: Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, it comes across as like, this is how we found it. This is how it plays. And why would and you why would you mess with it?
3: Yeah.
4: Um, yeah.
1: I want to take a quick commercial break here and talk to you fine folks about Drew Estate's Herrera Stella Miami line. The Herrera Stella Miami is crafted by Level 9 rollers from Cuba at the El Titan de Bronze on Cale Ocho in Little Havana, Miami. Willie Herrera's Family Factory, and the oldest remaining Fabrica in Little Havana. Like the short Corona size featured at the 2016 IPCPR trade show, the complete Herrera Stelly Miami line is expertly crafted with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Horella Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is only available to ju diplomat retailers and five Vitolas. Seek it out, folks. Well, again, while he's in the bedroom all these long times, the parents claim to have no clue. They didn't know what a child molester even was. Right. And at least at this point, uh, with Father Bob, I believe him. Um, and this might change towards the end of the film, but the mom at this point... I'm not sure what's going on with her. I just... Her interviews... Man. You know. I just couldn't get past the... I just thought there was an... From from her first on-screen appearance up until this point... I just felt this kind of... Despite... We're talking about her daughter and her family. I just felt... With Bob, I could see a man... With butterflies in his stomach, and he, this guy was literally tore out his heart and put it on his sleeve for these interviews. At this point, mom, I'm just getting this kind of steely indifferent, in not a real emotional connection to what's going on here. But maybe she'd prove me wrong going forward.
2: Well, All right, we'll hang on to that. that.
1: So moving on, it turns out that once B drug Jan. Uh the, wait, wait,
3: the sorry. Do we not do, can we not move on for a second? Yeah, oh, yeah talk- sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Nobody's ever because, said that to us.
3: I, I, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, please move on.
3: This is a really curious thing to me because I do feel like like of of Bob and Marianne, like people have more negative feelings towards Marianne than they do Bob. And I'm curious why that is and there's part of me that feels like it's it is kind of a judgment and I love that I'm talking to three guys here because is it kind of our preconceived idea of what women are supposed to be and so we judge them harsher? I don't know.
2: I don't I don't necessarily think that because when I look at Bob, I can see the consternation in his face. I can actually see him like going through uh, almost like a Terminator reel of should I divulge this? How am I? No, I think I need to protect this. Oh, fuck it. I'm going to just say it. With her, she was very reserved. And I think that that comes across regardless well, no, no, of whether no, you're a male or yeah, female. Yeah, but she, was, just, she was reserved in her delivery, but she was saying very. But her micro ticks were saying, like, hey, I'm. Uh, uh. She taught. I didn't get.
1: With Bob, I got a, I got from his delivery, and you know, this is physicality. This We're judging right. physicality. We're judging... Micro expressions. We don't know motives. We don't know right. in, in, the internal workings here. But with with Bob, I just got a sense of overwhelming regret over how he handled everything. That's the way he expressed it. Yeah. With Marianne, she, I didn't get the regret. I, I got that she was telling me the truth. Why would right. she lie about right. such intimate moments? Why right. would she? But I didn't. I, you know, just to put it point blank. I got from Bob, man, I fucked up a lot at every turn in the story. Right. I fucked up. For Marianne, I got, yeah. You know, I, I made some mistakes, but, you know, Bob made some mistakes, too. And it just seemed, she seemed not as willing, I'm not going to say that, because Bob doesn't, none of them seem really willing to take the weight of Jan's immeasurable pain that, that's on you as parents. Just say it, that's on us as parents What you went through was because of our shortcomings and our failures. None of them said that.
2: Such a fascinating. None of them said that.
1: I mean, Bob was quick to say. Even Bob was quick to say, "Well, we did some things right. We always loved her." No, and uh, actually, it's not enough, Bob. It's actually
2: when when the documentary sums up, they did a bunch of things right. There's no way you come out of this even remotely close to whole unless you've done some things right.
1: Well, I think a lot of that is on Jan. It's it's on Uh, And we haven't talked a lot about Jan. We'll get to her in a minute. But, I mean, I think a lot of that is on Jan being this superhuman Uh, from an emotional... Sky, you mentioned, you know, maybe audiences judging Bob and Marianne differently and maybe because we're three guys, maybe, you know, looking at Bob differently because he's a guy. Uh, That's hard
2: for me to say. To i totally I need to ask my wife that. To just right myself. Now. Hey, Bob or Jane. But I'll tell you this: the
3: like at the office too. Like you could even judge him harsher because you're three guys judging him. Like well, I sure, think goes, sure. Right. As, a, as a father, yeah.
1: as a father of all girls. Right. Yeah, but I'm also not a gay florist. In the
2: right. in the 70s, God knows right. how hard that was. Oh God. In a small town. Do you right. know? When, when when, and later on, when they talk about. You know the leverage of exposing his homosexual affair. I understand that. I mean, I I I literally understand that. But but I think still.
1: But I think think as a counter as a counter argument to maybe the way that some some audience members are are judging Marianne's the way she comes off in this. I I would like to counter. Yes, I do come off very 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 strongly. Uh, against Marianne in this, and, the, and what she gave to us, God, blo- you know, she gave us her honest story.
2: Actually, I'm, pretty much, I'm pretty much but, an equal opportunity. But at uh, this opportunist but here, we're all very. I mean, they're they're they No, I just I, I have a hard time just. But at the same time, seeing how they rationalize. But at the same it.
1: time, to, to to Sky's argument, the maybe the difference in perspective per, perception with men and women audience members. The every time jan showed up on screen modern day jan doing the interviews
4: yeah yeah
1: i i couldn't wrap my head around the strength i couldn't wrap my head around the, the the you know i think i say it later in my notes i mean you have this 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 mature woman who's so centered and i'm sure there's outtakes where she lost it and And you had to, you know, cut the cameras and let her compose. It had to have happened. But she comes across with this strength and this iron will to overcome bad shit and not only get that story out, but to move on with her life. I mean, she seems more centered and normal than I do. That's true. I mean, you know, I go to a therapist for shit. Compared- I'm actually not going to therapy anymore after this movie. I quit. I, I got nothing to complain about. I'm, I'm good. I'm good.
3: It does an amazing job of giving perspective of what what um, what our own problems are or aren't.
1: Really. Or aren't. I, I think that's that's very apt. Um, well, it turns out uh, to jump back in real quick, um, and I am gonna see. We're getting close on the cigar, but hold your thoughts. It turns out that once B, drug Jan, uh, he was always given... The parents say he was always given her vitamins and allergy pills, which now, of course... Again, we say this a lot on our TNA movies. It was the 80s. It was the 70s here. Uh, I guess some neighborhood close family friend can give your kids pills. He uh, transferred her from the, the car that they had left in to his motor home. And here's where shit gets unbelievably surreal. She wakes up and she's restrained to a bed with like leather wrist and ankle straps. And there's an intercom like device playing messages to her in an alien voice. The voice explains to her that she is part alien. Her mother's real. Her mother's her actual mother. Uh, She has an alien father, kind of like Jesus which is a story she knows all too well growing up in the church. And her mission, she's told, is to create a baby with the chosen one, B, by the age of 16, or else her family would suffer horrific consequences. And because she loves and trusts B as a someone that, like an uncle or yeah. her own father, uh, to such an intense extent, she follows her marching orders. You see, B also, when she... Gets out of the straps and finds him. He's beat himself up to kind of sell the story of the alien, uh, not abduction, but alien interaction. This fucker's thought of everything. I mean, he's, he's literally left no, uh, details, uh, to, to, you know, if you can think it, he covered it. Um, I mentioned we haven't talked much about Jan's interviews. Um, God, especially when she's talking about this one, um, where so many victims would have cracked or taken to smoking crack uh, to deal with these nightmarish memories. She just comes across as so composed and healthy at this point in her life, if that makes sense. Um, I asked earlier, and I kind of didn't give you a chance to answer, were there... Were there moments where she just came unglued talking to you?
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. It was the mo- the m- biggest moment that I remember really was when we walked into her apartment the first time. As we walked through the door with all of our gear, she just looked at Stephanie and I and she just burst into tears. Like before we even started talking. Oh, jeez. And, and we just went up and we hugged her and, 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 you know, we just, but it was this, to me, it was this like moment where it was just like, she knew what, what she was about to set in motion. This film and this documentary. And, and, and it was this like, she was, she was happy, sad, all those emotions. But I remember just walking through the door and her bursting into tears. And the rest of it was, Sort of came as you would expect it, but it was that that was the most telling to me because it was just, I mean, I think she really knew at that moment what she was setting herself up for, what she was setting her parents up for and her sisters up for, and really everybody. And, and, and look, I think, I think we've honestly been able to sort of capture lightning in a bottle with this film. I don't think this is a normal thing. I think that this word of mouth is something that is extraordinary. In in two very opposing directions, it's great to get it out there, but it is out there in a massive way. In 190 countries, we're on
1: with Netflix. Yeah,
3: I mean it's, but it's 190 countries judging.
1: I imagine that reaction though had to kind of put you at ease as you're going to get the the real the real Jan. If if she had been completely, you know, shook your hand and sat down and. Yeah. Uh, I think by her having that moment of complete vulnerability, I, it had to let you know, like, all right, you know what? I've, I've got a comfort level here that I'm going to get honesty.
3: Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, having you say it and thinking back, yeah, I think that was probably true at the moment. It was just such compassion for her and such, um, I mean, such thankfulness. You know, you, you enter into these situations and you sit down and you talk to people about their lives and the most intimate, destroying, just moments of their life. And they sit in there, they tell you these moments and it's, I, I, the feeling is something that's kind of indescribable where you just, it's kind of, it's just this honor that people are willing to share something like that. It's
1: a privilege. Um,
3: It is. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, the alien voice finally gives Jan the command after some more time on the road in the RV the alien voice tells uh, tells her to go tell B that it's time to do what makes people happy. And we see in recreated footage, B grab her hand and take her to the back bedroom of the RV. Just that shot of him taking her to the bedroom and closing the door. I'm sorry, that's more disturbing than anything you shot for me in my <laughs> real horror film. Oh my God, when he closed the door, but it gets worse. We then stay tight on young Jan's <laughs> face as B penetrates her for the first time. We stay on her face for an uncomfortable, just long, it seems like an eternity. Yeah. Hell, one second would be an eternity, yeah. you know. Yeah. But we just look down at Jan, and you already mentioned that conversation that went in with this young actress. And we're looking at her as we hear grown-up Real Jan's voiceover describe the sexual encounter. About how he would only go in an inch. He didn't want to burst the hymen. He's already thinking ahead to to the the things. You know, Sky, uh, I'm a
2: hard egg to break.
3: Was but, it too much, though?
2: Do you? No, think? no, it was. No, no, it wasn't. Um, but you and s- I will and I will say the cuts away to the uh, skylight into well, no, the trees. You know what? you said something earlier, sky and Brilliant. And
1: this is why you're more than uh, a DP or more than a, a documentarian. This is why you're a filmmaker. You were mentioning the memory of your dad with that cigar outside and the the light of it in the dark night and it's a visual imprint that you always have. She tells us that she looked up through the skylight in the RV, and there was a branch and some leaves hanging over. And she focused out that window as B is raping her. It's rape. Uh, But to get through it, as, what is she now, 12?
4: I think she's 12,
2: yes.
1: She's 12. the real Jan is telling us about how she focused on this this branch and this leaf. Sky films out the top of this RV a branch hanging over and that leaf. And that's why you're a filmmaker. I mean that knowing the significance of your dad's cigar butt in the darkness, knowing how imprinted that branch out that RV was to Jan and lingering on it when we finally cut away from her little face screw you stone
2: phillips this is how you do it and it, and it's something that's very human oh, uh, it's, because it's, there's a lot of times you know maybe not maybe it's not a situation it's where per- somebody was raping but you know you get you get the you get the news that your wife is dying, or you get the news that your parents have died I, it, there's a lot of times when you go into like this little deal to where you fixate on something and you but just by
1: jan's but by jan's modern day retelling of it and Sk- the way sky captured it it was it was not it was cinema it it was it was pure cinema and I, those are the documentaries that I can get behind is when they incorporate those those touches, um, and that that yeah, that scene
2: was. It's a horrible, horrible situation, but a very human situation. Sad.
1: Yeah, that makes just, sense.
3: That, that shot looking out at the leaves on those trees, it is. It's so. I, I'm so glad you mentioned it because it's my favorite. It's my favorite shot in the film.
1: There's one other there's one other that would have been my favorite we'll get to my favorite shot in the film here pretty quick um, but yeah and I, I honestly had the maybe twisted thought of like I can't imagine when Jan the real Jan watched this film when she saw the leaf out of the top of the RV what the hell yeah. did she I mean
4: yeah
1: yeah yikes that's a question that that's a question point. for Jan yeah. Uh, she'll never talk to us.
4: <laughs> if she's seen any of our podcasts, no.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it turns out B marries Jan down in Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. They learned this from... <laughs> I'm sorry, this guy. B's brother, who B has been in touch with uh, over the phone during all this. Man, that dude's a real character, huh? Well,
3: he's a character.
1: You yeah. could do a whole movie, I imagine, on this guy. Oh, I
3: know. I know. He was. He, he's a character, but he was... He's also the only, he he did, he did seem to have a pretty good moral compass. I know, but he, he's the only one that would talk to us. And so there's, you know, it was very, it was very interesting, but I also respect him. And, and, and look, I, he's the, the only guy that would talk to us from their family. And his, his reasoning behind that was because he wanted to give his brother a voice. And and it's funny because the more I think about it, I sit there going, you know, I think about my sister, and I'm like, okay, what would she have to do to make me turn against her? And I sit there going, there's nothing, there's nothing she could do where I would completely disown her from my life. Nothing.
2: Yeah, that that right. man, this guy is so effing complex because. On one hand, on one hand, you're absolutely right. I mean it's family that's his brother and on the other hand yes, yet, yet he
1: yeah. comes across as one of the least complex like he comes across what? as
2: just the most but to me, that's, well, what, make, mean, that's what makes him
1: so no, you know,
5: Even after forty years, I mean, you ra- how do you wrap your head around that your your brother's a sociopath? And- yeah,
2: exactly. But at the same time, like there, in 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 all the interviews, I never doubted this guy. I never doubted a word he said. No, I didn't
1: either. And he he was, like, was the only one I actually I, I oh, just, that,
3: oh okay, well, hang on, cause which is, is weird
1: because he's like a used car salesman and you know kind of a redneck and like I believe this guy.
3: Go ahead, Sky. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say it's so fascinating to me because you believe him because he's so outrageous. Whereas, whereas everybody else, you're kind of sitting there going, "Are they telling the truth? Are they not telling the truth? Are they protecting themselves?" And I kind of felt the same way, even with Birch Whereas, like, I imme- like when I first read the papers that he had written about this homosexual encounter with Bob Broberg, I was like, "That's not true." And then I found out it was. And so I, I got to a point where I was like, everything he said is actually true. And, and so I had to really sort of look at my response to this. And look, I think everything the Brobergs said is true as well, but I expected them to be truthful and these other people that I didn't expect to be truthful were as well. Let, and that's complicated.
1: It is. Let me ask you, uh, this is a question I had for the end, but I'll go ahead and jump in here. Um, some of it. Uh, so none of uh, B's kids, I don't know if his wife's still alive, uh, were, they they were completely not interested in talking to you whatsoever? No.
3: No. Why and would the reason, why well, like, why, they, why would they? I, yeah, I mean, we had like a, a, a 15 second conversation on the phone before, before it was ended on their part. Um, but I asked them if they would be interested and they knew because Joe Birch told us still in contact with them and, and, and basically they said it's, it's, it's ancient history, it's behind them and they had no desire to really open this Pandora's box again. Right. And, absolutely
1: right. Why would they? There's no reason why they would. Sure. Um, okay. Well, B tells his brother that he won't return to the U.S. unless Jan's parents agree to let them marry again there. Naturally, they don't agree to this. I say naturally, but who knows with these two goobers. Right. Uh, so B's brother does the right thing and has his phone tapped so the FBI can trace B's location. Hey, brother! And they send in the Mexican police to scoop him up. Uh, but once in the Mexican jail, B manages, he bribes one of the guards with oh, his
2: gold watch. Oh, if you Mexican
4: police.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. That, as as I,
4: as
2: as I that's shocking. This, uh, no, no, right. it's not shocking. But as soon as I saw this in the movie, I'm like, yeah, that makes totally sense. What? Mexi- Mexican police? It can be bought off? Come on! Know, that's
4: the it's, it's,
1: shocking it's, revelation tonight. Yeah. Uh, B manages to let them talk to Jen one last time in the prison. He tells her if she reveals anything about their mission, the alien stuff, them having sex, obviously, the aliens will blind her sister and kill her father. So, as she's sent back to the States, she clams up tight, doesn't say a word uh, on her return and keep in, title. And keep
2: in mind, this is a 12-year-old, very naive girl. This is a fucking Asshole.
1: We can't agree on that. Yeah. He is an asshole. I, Speaking of uh, assholes.
2: Final the cigar is not an
1: asshole. Final thoughts on the cigar. I, I really like it. I, I, I really I like it. My lips are tingling. have got a real weird jump up in spice at the end. My lips are tingling. Uh, I got a lot more chocolate in the final yep. third. Did you get that? Yes. Uh, still get some mintiness. A little bit of that Nicaraguan earth. And it's strong enough to, to hang in with this Unibrew. The... I call it the Maudite. What'd you call it Sky? The Mudit. I mean, the Madit. I, th- I think she's right. Uh, the Maudit. Um, I really liked it too. And it and it didn't get you know, it's still not getting hot. I'll, I'll be smoking on this for another but I wanted to I see he's almost cash. You're just getting involved there, but uh yeah, the flavors a little little ebb and flow with the I didn't really chocolate get I didn't it.
2: really get a lot of ebb and flow with it. It was pretty much the same cigar from foot to the last. Uh, But it was a good tasting cigar It's right in my palate So I I, I can't complain about that I'm curious about the price point Yeah well
1: let's do that now We always guess Price is right style And if you get anything in your final third uh, That comes out of nowhere Let me know Alright price point Cody Uh,
5: Tough one I'm going to probably
1: say A new look for punch A new era in punch cigars They've been around forever. Cuban legendary Cuban brand brought to the States by General Cigar Company. Eleven. Eleven dollars for six inch cigar. Well, we've been smoking on what, an hour and a half?
2: Yeah. I was going to go ten fifty. I'm
1: going to go ten forty
5: nine. You son of a
1: price is right, style. <laughs> this cigar will run you. Seven dollars and nineteen cents. What? Even Sky think that's a good deal.
4: That I is do. a good deal.
2: Yes. That <laughs> is a really good deal. Yeah. For this cigar. would you say eleven? I said
4: eleven. Yes.
1: You said ten fifty? I said ten forty nine, I won since I was the lowest without going over. Whatever. Or I did go over, I guess. Uh
2: yeah. That's a really, really good price that's point. That's a
1: great price point. Yeah. If I didn't know, I, w- I would have gone nine. Because it's a pun- puncher usually on the reasonable scale. That's unbelievable. And you can go to FamousSmokeShot.com, get yourself some Punch Diablos, enter promo code TNCC20, and if you spend 100 bucks, you get 20 bucks off.
2: And uh, don't g- just go to FamousSmoke.com. Go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, hit the Famous Smoke banner, and then put in TNCC20. Spend a
1: hundred, get twenty back. You can't beat that. You cannot beat that. Okay. Well, unless you f- see something else with a cigar, jump in. Um, I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, and the beer is, as I predicted, uh, it's growing on me. You
2: can't. You can't go wrong with the Edinburgh.
1: You really can't. They don't make bad beer. They don't. Um, well, Jan's back. And she's changed now. She's not the same girl they once knew. Uh, understandably, obviously. She's somewhat distant, uh, hollow in regards to her family. And she's still overly concerned about bees welfare. Uh, he's been charged with kidnapping. And a physician's exam showed that Jan had not been sexually assaulted. Remember, he was very careful...
2: God, this is an
1: asshole. ...to not break her hymen... Uh, God, can you imagine that? Just on top of all that weird alien shit and all the rape in the RV. Then you gotta go into a doctor and get. She's 12 years old. That's why it's so unbelievable that she's so healthy as an adult, seemingly.
2: (sighs) Not only that, but I mean, just think of the situations that she went to. She was actually placed in a holding cell as well.
1: Oh yeah, in a Mexican prison. I forgot about well, that. Well,
2: not only that, but she was placed in a holding cell when she came back. Oh yeah, back when she came back, she was fingerprinted,
1: uh, fingerprinted, and the whole nine yards there. But she does, you know, begin assimilating back and acting normal in school. Um, but she keeps this distance between her family as she knows her mission, which has been ingrained in her brain at this point, isn't complete. As long as she's separated from B.
2: And the worst thing about it is that she's protecting her family. Now you've got a 12-year-old who's tasked not only with saving the world but protecting her family and her sisters as well.
1: Correct. And your family thinks, well, obviously they have no clue that that is weighing on her shoulders. Um, I'll I'll go now. The FBI agent in charge. Again, I really like this guy. He warns Jan's parents to not have any contact with B or any of his family under any circumstances. But, of course, her parents don't listen to him. So, on Christmas Eve, B's wife, Gail... Is she still alive, Gail? Yeah. She is. Yeah. She comes over and asks Bob and Marianne to sign some affidavits stating that Jan had permission to go with B. And they in no way want to see charges pressed. Or else... B will be forced to reveal his homosexual encounter with Bob. And in the mid-1970s, that's a big fucking deal. So, they... Man, it's another big moment. In the, the, the recreation, them signing those documents. They sign the affidavits saying that Jan wasn't taken against her will or held against her will. And just like that, B is set free. Bob, how... Mary Ann does tell us the general public wasn't happy with that decision. No shit! Even in the 70s, I, that's completely crazy.
5: It's just very difficult. I, I had a hard time with this because, I mean, I'm, I'm viewing them, you know, by the standards of looking at my own parents. And if my, you know, mom had a daughter and she thought, for one instance, some man had touched her, he'd be dead in a cornfield. I think and that's and that's not a thing I mean that happens enough in this area yeah no, I, mean, I know your family that's not that's not those, those aren't hollow words mom, mom's hand would be on the shovel I, I
2: i this isn't a time or a culture issue it's just how i mean, i just this is one of the this is one of those impact moments where I was like how yeah
1: this this was almost uh the signing of those affidavits was. Well, I mean, how do you rank these things? Letting him sleep with her in her bedroom, (laughs) letting him build a wall in her bedroom to separate her from her. I mean, like you could rank these bad choices, but I mean, it's it's pointless. So B moves to Utah when he's released to work at his brother's car dealership. Imagine that he's an amazing used car salesman. Uh, But he was still coming home on the weekends to Idaho to see his family, and. He's also sneaking into Jan's bedroom with his little alien intercom and raping her more. How do you not know guys coming into your house? Like that was. Hey, it was the seventies. Um, well, it was, uh, it was also on. sort of this,
3: how their house was set up. And and, and, she,
1: and she was clearly willing at this point. She would open. No, it wasn't sure. stated, but I imagine she opened the no, window. No, I'm,
2: cur- I'm curious. How how was the house set up?
1: She was, the, she was in the she was in the basement, right?
3: The yeah, but so, okay, so you go in. Let me see if I can get on the screen here. So so there's a kitchen door that opens, and it goes, if you turn to the right, you go in the kitchen, and if you go straight down, you go into the basement to the room. So, and the parents' bedroom was back over, like if you went right through the kitchen back in, you get to the parents' bedroom. But if you just went straight down the basement, and then you would get to that big room that there was... Closed off into two rooms, and you just go to the end of the hall, and that was Jan's room. So it would have been so easy to sneak in and go down that hallway to their room without anybody even really hearing.
2: Really, I mean, how how heavy of a sleepers are these people? Because no, you my know, my wife will wake up yeah. if the cat is three rooms over reading yeah, you know a what? magazine.
1: I, I'm thinking about back, you know, in the '80s when we were kids, how easy it was to sneak in and out of of the house at night to you know go. Egg houses, That's or to true. or to get your friends. I mean, it is
2: true.
4: It, it is. I'm now, sorry, maybe, mom and dad. Maybe, maybe, lie. maybe,
1: you, maybe you would have have had a little more awareness, seeing as you just brought your daughter back from Mexico. I'm just saying. The guy there might her, have been a
2: point where I'm sitting in that kitchen with a shotgun. Yeah, well, I'd he, like to think that.
1: He also uh, be smuggles notes into her school telling her to go to random phone booths in town where an alien voice over the phone would hammer home the importance of the ongoing mission. They also wrote love letters back to one another. Man, I think the inclusion of these letters, Sky, is so essential to getting into her teenage head and, yeah. his, and the way he manipulated it. Um, yeah. You should actually show the letters with Jan reading them. Yeah. That that's that's good.
3: Cool. Oh, was that was a recreation too. Jan's little voice was yeah. an act that we had reading them. That was uh, the other Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. Uh but yeah. still just the actual to see the letters alone just that visual was
3: I know the, the way to me it was always just the way that she wrote, you know, those big sort of bubbly letters. Even back. it was, it was very Even the stationery uh
1: with, with like the yeah. little, you know, cuz everybody used that cheesy stationery back then with like the little you know, guy looking at a sunset at the bottom. Oh, the bad
2: thing is, is that I've done enough of these style of videos to where I'm like, I'm I'm watching the the display of the letter and the uh, the masking as you're going line by line, and it's like because her letters loop into the next line, and right. there's like letters cut off, and I'm like, oh, that's such a pain in the ass to deal with. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Editorial note. Editorial note.
1: Uh, well, B's hook is in her now more than ever, even though they're technically separated. Uh, the shift from I love B like I love my father to I love B like a man is complete now, and she tells her mother that she wants to marry him. Yeah. It's so profoundly sad, and at the same time enthralling because you just can't make this shit up. Yeah. I mean, at this point in the story, you literally can't. A creative mind, a creative storyteller, just couldn't make it up. I mean, if you tried to make this into a lifetime movie today, The Wrong Neighbor, they would—they yeah. tell you they tell you to get the fuck out of it, and they, they'll make anything into a movie, and they tell you this is too crazy.
5: Oh, oh, always, right. is the, the, this thing is—is is truth is stranger than fiction. I, and it this never, is the
1: never is that one more of apparent. The
5: penultimate examples.
1: Sky, if I direct a lifetime movie, will you collaborate with me? Yes, absolutely. I'm writing one now. It's called the Wrong Podcast.
3: <laughs> oh God,
1: I, I've said too much. It's based on a Christmas story. I, I've you? said, I've, I, I perhaps we'll talk later, Sky. Um, we skip ahead to the spring of '75, and Marianne agrees to meet B to talk about Jan. And somehow he starts stroking her leg, telling her that it's actually her that he loves. And they end up doing it in his RV. She has sex with B, the man who kidnapped and married his daughter in Mexico. Her daughter in Mexico. It was then at this point Marianne admits she knew she crossed a line.
2: <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> this is this is one of those instances where I, I, I do think that there would have been weight. To having an expert opinion on it because I'm just on like,
1: her instead of B, like her both, her psychology, them,
2: her psychology, because there is no way and you know I mean it's it's hard for rational people to rationalize insanity and that's kind of what I'm thinking that we're trying to. You do. think Marianne was insane? Both of them. I, I just there's nothing relatable here. I'm like how how does
3: this fucking happen between the two kidnappings? Right. Right. Yeah, I know. She wrote
2: she wrote
1: a book, we'll get to the book later, Blind Innocence about this whole thing, but
3: Stolen Innocence.
1: Stolen, Stolen Innocence, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. but Blind
2: Innocence is your hallmark.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's story. another lifetime movie I'm working Thank on. Her. Blind yeah. Blind Innocence. Uh, she should have called her book I'm literally the worst goddamn mother that's ever
4: walked I the earth.
1: <laughs> By Marianne. I mean, come on. She's terrible. She's the world's I mean, oh my god. Okay. Uh Sky, you got to know this woman. Is there a side to her in her story? I'm not seeing Like they continue to screw for eight months. She says she loved him. But as she's saying this, I got to that thing of regret. She gets this little smile on her face and she's like, It was a very exciting time in my life. Quote yeah, That was a quote, what? quote unquote. It was a very exciting time in my life. Yuck! Like
3: I know, but see, you see you you sort of experience it as and you're saying she had the smile on her face, and it's so interesting to me because I feel like you experience it that way that she had the smile on her face, and I experience it in this way where I just hear so much regret in her statement when she says it was a very exciting time in my life, and I can see her sort of reflecting back on that. And that's, that's where I, you know, whatever it was 20 or 30 or an hour ago where I, I kind of go, what is this, maybe this different perspective between men and women? And, 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 or maybe it's even me sitting in the room with her and kind of knowing what our 10 hour Uh,
1: interview
3: was, you know, and maybe that didn't get across in the documentary so well, but, but to me, she was, there was this, just this deep sense of like, I know I did this, and this is what I felt, and I I did love him, and and I think there was regret in that more yeah, than like I, I didn't
1: to, to my to to just check one in our box. My my wife saw it as I saw it. She I, she yeah. she missed the regret in Marianne. She yeah. just didn't see it, and it didn't help that during the time that Marianne was. Having this affair would be he visited Jan on nine different occasions and spent the night with her alone at least twice
3: yeah yeah yeah
1: that's not stolen innocence that's given innocence
3: yeah and that's that's where it gets complicated because it's just so hard to understand and 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 Marianne was so involved with him and so in love with him i think i guess
1: just i so guess maybe cool. a part of it and i don't want to dwell on it but i think maybe a part of it is as a parent you're kind of one your one golden rule is to to put your kids needs and safety and pretty much everything once you once you That's, do it above your own and you know it wasn't like this happened in the early days of B he's kidnapped her and married her right. and and now and you're after that is when you've chosen to 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 fool around with him that that just kind of betrays everything that you're 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 programmed to as a parent and where we see Bob again, it's physicality. It, it's just the perception of Bob, kind of trembling and and, and at the thought of his of, uh, of his daughter in these situations. I got Marianne as she reflected, thinking more about her daughter and her. Yeah. I I, I I didn't get I didn't get Bob seemed to kind of cut himself out of the picture at some point. Like this is about yeah. this is about Jan. Where Marianne kind of was like, this is Jan and I's story, not just Jan's story.
2: I think yeah. I think one of the things that I kind of take away from both of their interviews, and I could just be going way too forensic geek here, Bob always looked away from the camera. He always looked away from you. He would look you in the eye, but he would also, like, when he was recollecting, he would look down. Yeah, he, would he looked look, down a lot. And he would fidget. And it wasn't like it was weird because she she never broke she she didn't break concentration a lot. She was constantly looking at you. She knew what she was delivering. I, I don't know. I, it, it's just I don't, know. I don't may, know. Maybe there is a lot of truth in you know to how the sexes both view. Oh this. no, there's there's definitely. Tr-
1: yeah, no, that's 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 there. That's there. Uh, but see, the,
2: the funny thing is, is that you know, with my view of the sexes, uh, and again, being a cat parent that I am, I put most of the onus on Bob. I mean, like, if, if we want to go way because old, cat. yeah, if we want to go way old fashioned, that's your daughter. I, and I'm just, I have a hard time relating with him, even though at the same time that I have a hard time relating with him, I can sympathize with him a lot. So it's a really weird dynamic there. It really
4: is.
1: Well, Bob, speaking of Bob, he finally makes a move and files for a divorce to get his kids away from wife and B. Unlike Marianne, despite not calling the cops for five days after the initial kidnapping, uh, and despite letting B sleep in his daughter's room unsupervised four nights a week, like you said, I'm starting to garner a little bit of sympathy for old Bob. Uh, did he ever reveal if he was bisexual or if like that? Did he ever... Did they stay married?
3: Yeah, yeah. They stayed married. Um, They're
1: married now?
3: Yeah. Bob actually passed away in November. Oh, okay. And so, um, but they were married up until he passed away. So um, they absolutely stayed married. And... Um, it's it's also a very curious thing to me. I think, you know, because it it is something that people have fixated on in social media. Like, is he gay? Is he not gay? Did it go on longer than this? And it's it's interesting to me because I kind of go, well, what does it really matter? Because that that blackmail was there, yeah. Regardless of it happened once or twice or three hundred times or wherever that that seed was planted. But it, but it is interesting that people are like, oh, I that, was, think a, was,
1: that was a poor choice of words, Scott
3: Sorry, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> but it's curious to me because that was
2: a poor thing to point out, Cade.
3: I, yeah, <laughs> I'm I sorry. The that,
1: seed, the seed was planted.
3: Yes, yes. The um, the idea is there, but it's something people have really grasped onto because they think that it happened longer than it did, and. And to me, I, I don't know. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We could never find any real evidence that yeah. it did or didn't. Um, this was Bob's recollection and he remembered it happening one time. And, and to me, that was kind of enough to know that, that this, this shift of power had sort of occurred. And, and all of a sudden Birchstoll had a lot of leverage and could use it against.
1: Oh, absolutely. Other. I just took it as Bob being a
5: good friend.
4: No. Well, you would
3: know.
5: Would you? <laughs> You're in the hot seat. Look, it was a it
1: was an intense film shoot. Things happened. We had to stay on schedule. Don't judge me.
5: I did what I had to I do. Did I, I did what I had to, I had to do. do.
1: So, uh, moving on. Uh, B doesn't take the news of the divorce well. He starts threatening Bob over the phone. He tries to convince Marianne to run off with him. Telling him, you know, my heart is with you. He's desperate at this point. But an apologetic Mary Ann decides she wants to be with Bob. She says she recognized, um, through the advice of her lawyer, actually, that B is a cancer on their family that must be removed. So she does what she has to do, and we see husband and wife reconcile. And we've learned they stayed together till Bob passed away in November. Um, well, B wasn't totally off the hook as far as the initial kidnapping the judge did end up sentencing despite them signing those affidavits Uh, he sentenced him to five years which got knocked down to 45 days and with good behavior he served a little over a week Uh, but we still still see crazy shit like that in the court system these days yeah we do guys rape a kid and get a slap on the wrist from some southern judge and we see it every I mean that that nonsensical uh, yeah we do stuff from judges still happens um in the three months that he was free before his sentencing, B buys a family fun center in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Of course he does. This would be like R. Kelly investing in Chuck E. Cheese. Yep. Uh, who the hell is going to let this happen? Well, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't have no, no clue. God, geez. Jan begs her parents to go to work for B at the family fun center. And while Bob gives a hard no... Mom, she's being difficult at home. She's just relentless. I
2: don't care.
1: Mom finally caves and buys her a plane ticket no. to go live with B in his no. motor home once again.
2: How old was she at this point, Sky? Fifteen? Fourteen. Fourteen. No. Yeah. I'm sorry. And and mm. even even it was a weird conversation that me and my wife had at this point. If I were in bomb shoes, and, and you're you, not. A, you can't. I know you can't. You can't do this you can't because do you you can't put yourself there until you're actually there. But I'm like, I've got to divorce you for the sake and the safety of my kids. I have to get you away from them. The moment you put her matter. on a plane, it doesn't matter. You are
1: endangering my child. But at this point in our story, Todd, it doesn't matter. She's gone. She's already there.
2: But it it does matter because eventually, if I get her back. Well, my wife, who put my <laughs> baby girl on a plane to yeah. a fucking pedophile that married her in Mexico I've got to get you away I love you honey, but I gotta get you away I think but that it
1: that
3: thing, like like if you didn't know he was a pedophile like because you're look I'm not trying to sort of stick up for anybody or or, or no just or,
1: devil's advocate
3: right but yeah playing devil's advocate here like, because they still didn't really. I mean, maybe they knew, but in a very subconscious way, they didn't actually. It wasn't real to them that he was a pedophile. Okay. Uh, let me. Thought that they were, that their 12, 14 year old daughter was in love with a 40 year old man. Exactly.
2: That's, that's where, even if you take sex totally out of the equation, yeah. pedophile totally out of the question, a 40 year old man married my daughter. Actually, took my daughter to Mexico, married him. I'm sorry, I've got to get her but away from that. Do you period. want to
1: complicate this a little bit more? If you're Bob, yeah, she flew to Wyoming to be with this forty-year-old man. But he's also the same forty-year—he's also the same forty-year-old man that drove me out to the country and asked me for a hand job. Exactly. Maybe he's Bob's thinking that this guy isn't. How could he be inclined to little girls when I'm giving him a tug?
3: Little girls or his wife.
1: Or his wife. He's just, he's... This, th- this, your head yeah, could go just, a million My brain, my brain just exploded. Fractions. I'm just saying, right. if you're Bob, you're like, you know what? He sure liked what I did to him. How could he like anything from a girl? I'm just saying, Bob's a human being with thoughts. Oh, man. So complicated. Drop that in your brain box. Okay. <laughs>
5: All right. romparoo numnuts.
1: <laughs> I said earlier the the moment with the leaf over the RV was my second place standout uh, cinematic uh, moment in the film. Here we have the transcendent moment, as far as I'm concerned, where I'm watching a movie. I'm not watching something on TV. I'm not watching a, a paint by numbers document. You know, documentary, true crime documentary. Sky, you play a cassette recording here of Jan and B talking about one of her dreams. Whoa. And I believe I believe it's the only audio that they both appear on together, talking yeah. to each other. Yeah. And while we're listening to the conversation, there's one I'd say it's hellish, but this is like a million feet under hell, where he asks her if she's ever watched Sesame Street. Yeah. But as they're having this conversation, you show us 8 millimeter footage of a random vast green field with blue skies and white clouds above and i could see you behind the camera as a director and as a dp purposely making us feel something there using abstract visuals of the you know the field and the the sky mixed with their two muffled voices on this old ass audio melded together man well done my friend that 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 moment of that dialogue with those two and you chose to to, to do that shot which made no sense you could have shown yeah. you could have shown anything with that backdrop of that audio you could have made it really creepy and just showed his motor home like in a still shot yeah you could have shown jan at the fun park you know, I, I, being a I lifeguard whatever, but the fact that you chose that field and that sky it just was and I don't you guys have been here eighty eight episodes I don't use the word poetic a lot that is a poetic choice and that's what rises this movie above the pack stuff like that that shit was incredible
3: thanks there there are a few moments where it, it gets to that level and then there's others where it, it, it doesn't quite get there. But but there I I agree. I mean I kinda of sit there going it's it's those kind of moments that I go. These are my favorite my favorite moments of the Well for I, sure.
2: I didn't When I first viewed it I didn't appreciate that scene, but hearing it said like that no, there was a lot of weight that gave to the that gave the audio because you cleared out the scenery, because there wasn't anything that was drawing your attention into the, the e- scene. The
1: easy choice you would have been would, to
2: show some some right. pictures of them. You get, to, you get to focus all on that audio. All
1: you're hearing is them, and you have nothing to look at. But
2: I didn't make that. I didn't make that connection. That's a good point.
1: We had a lot of instances on the film we shot together, Underbelly, where Sky and I would. In between shots, even, you know, we're in Texas in the summer. It's it's gorgeous. We would see a cloud pattern or we would see a, a flock of birds flying and I'd grab her by the arm and we'd be like... She'd whip that camera up in the sky and if you watch that film, so many of... You know, let's get our Terrence Malick on. It, so many of those those just spur the moment you just see something and it makes sense. And you don't even know when you're going to use it or if yeah. you're going to use it. But I don't know when you shot that field in those clouds and if you had any clue that it would be included. If it was an editor's choice even, I don't know. But it was just
2: perfect.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is that that just that gut feeling where it's not something that's necessarily planned. And then... And then you cut it in, and it just works. And it's really, really a great
1: feeling. I, I, I just, like like Tut was saying, if you had played that audio over pictures of them together, because you only had so many of those or anything, it wouldn't have... It just lets you just hear it, and yeah. it was perfect. All right. Jan is eventually brought home. The weight of the alien's mission still weighing heavily on her fragile shoulders. But B keeps calling, Putting on the pressure until Jan finally sneaks out of her basement bedroom window and runs off with B for a second time. Uh, as she's gone and missing, B continues to call Marianne on the phone, telling her that he's talked to Jan, but she's not with him. And Marianne tells us three days of agony goes by. I'm sorry, maybe Bob, I think Bob said that, but they're still not telling anybody. They say they're with her grandparents. Uh, because they don't want to get the press in here and, and make a big stir. For two fucking weeks they don't say anything. Now you deserve that stare at me. That th-
4: th-
1: <laughs> I gave you the whole I gave you the whole bob it was like maybe the guys into hand jobs thing. Alright, two weeks. You, you're 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 may- the protector of the fucking family. Maybe some parenting counseling? I
4: don't know.
1: It was the seventies. That didn't exist. It was back the seventies so now, Bob and Jan are both MIA, but he keeps calling Marianne to tell her that he's been communicating with Jan, and unfortunately, he says she's living a hard life of prostitution on the streets and oh, selling drugs.
2: fucking bastard.
1: It's in these audio recordings that I really gave up on Marianne. Uh, she's far too friendly, and I realized she was taping these conversations for the FBI and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, she's probably
2: trying to draw him out.
1: But, you know, just, she's so friendly. Hey, B, how are you? But here's where it got me. When he tells her about the prostitution and whatnot, she just gives a... Oh, dear. Your 14-year-old fucking kid is selling drugs and prostitution? Yeah, but at
2: the same time, we don't know what... I mean, when the FBI comes in and they're going to start setting up a sting and they're going to start setting up... They're coaching her as well. You know, they're, they're telling her, you know... Keep him on, try to draw him in, try to draw him out. I understand
1: that. I'm assuming that's going on. But she's not Meryl Streep. She's not... She's still a mother who's hearing that her kid's a prostitute, and I just... Her voice on those tapes sounded like her delivery in the interviews. I just... (laughs) Stolen innocence, my
5: ass. Sold innocence. It's like... Like I said, I'm I'm viewing this through my own parents and I'm like, I can't relate to these people. The book should have been called Selfish Indifference. That fits. It's
1: apt. One man's opinion. And this
2: goes on for three long. <laughs> guys,
1: burying her head in that.
2: I, I just. I, no, I just like that look you gave up to the TV to just look at her well, reaction. Yeah, we, and you're like,
1: oh god. Sometimes because we're doing our normal thing here, I forget, guys. There. I'm like, oh god, yeah. yeah. Hey,
4: yeah.
1: no holds barred. We're just doing what we do. But this goes on for three long months with them talking and he and all and she also asked him so at one point when did they go Mel Gibson give me back, my daughter? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Uh, and she asked him during these conversations, do you still want to marry Jan? Oh yeah, she's the only one for me. Ninety days into Jan's second disappearance, the FBI tracks down B in Salt Lake City. Inside his motorhome, he has a huge poster
2: he has these huge Poster-sized oh, photos God. of
1: Jan all over the place, but he swears up and down he doesn't know where she is.
2: Okay, I've got to ask, where did uh, did you recreate the posters? Okay, you did,
3: because
2: yeah. that yeah. was freaky. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. We recreated the photos, and it's a little bit of a funny story because I was like. Who's gonna print these photos? Like, is anybody gonna print these photos for me? These are creepy. Like, you can't, boy, you, I, can't, you can't go
2: to Walgreens. Oh no, they'll do it. <laughs> I mean, don't don't ask questions. They will.
3: They totally did. Like, it was not that hard. I was like, I was expecting this big, huge. Like, I contacted a friend of mine who was a printer, and I'm like, I might need like a favor, at this, point. <laughs> like, this whole thing, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I can help you out. And, and then I was like, okay, I might need this. And then I got online and, like, and like was like, oh, yeah, can we get these these photo printer things on the – and they're like, yeah, no problem. I wish could we could staples. Later. And I was like, this is supposed to be a lot harder than this. This is really awful. That yeah.
1: This is this. That's, that's a great point. <laughs> that's the 2000s. We say it's the 70s. That's the 2000s. That's a great
2: point. This should be a lot harder than it <laughs> actually a is. Lot yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Uh, oh, my God. Well, yeah.
1: there, uh, there's a moment during all this where we hear audio of Jan. Oh, God, this one. She calls home, and we, uh, hear, we hear her talking to tearful Bob and her hysterical sisters who haven't heard her voice oh in my forever. It is so damn heartbreaking. Oh, my God. I just... Again, without these tapes, I don't know if you can tell the story with the weight that it deserves. Because her sisters cry. Just, dude, Bob's reaction. Was... Bob. 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 Oh. Yeah.
3: To me, I hear that. And I'm just like. Oh!
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh,
1: no. Did you yeah. hear that? Did you? You could barely hear. Did you hear Bob tell Marianne that Jan was on the phone? She's like, "I'm outside having a cigarette. I'll be in a minute."
2: No, I didn't hear that. <laughs> part.
1: No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> oh God! Eventually, the FBI traces a phone booth call that B makes to an all-girls Catholic school in California, and they find Jan enrolled there under the alias of Janice Tobler. B has been visiting her every weekend, and he told the nuns that she was his daughter, and he was a CIA agent, they just snuck out of Lebanon.
2: You sorry son of a bitch. So if
1: anybody comes looking for her, they're bad guys. They're looking for me. This guy's got a an angle God, for everything. Man. Good grief, this motherfucker. But when she arrives back home, it's not over for Jan. She completely shuts out her family. She's broken beyond measure now. Uh, Bob says she's emotionally just gone. Because she's still convinced that by her failing her mission, her family's going to suffer the consequences. A few nights later, B uh, contracts some of his fellow inmates to burn down Bob's flower shop. This guy ain't stopping. Yeah. But there's, and this is one of Jan's, I thought, strongest, uh, one of her most emotionally open moments on camera when she talks about as they, as the fan, small town. They rushed down there. As you know, this flower shop meant everything to him. He kind of grabbed his family and was like. You know, I don't give a shit. Everything I care about, I got Jan back. We're right here, and that's when that's one of the few times in the in the film where Jan kind of loses it emotionally. Is this memory of her dad, yeah, uh, just kind of grabbing his his family as as they watch that store burn down.
2: And I think it's a very important scene because it 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 gives weight to what I was kind of feeling already. Is that as I watched Jan through these interviews you don't come out of this with that I hate saying healthy because I know it's not healthy but you don't come out of it the way she came out of it without support you don't come out of it without love and regardless of whatever's going on between Marianne and Bob and the family I never once doubted that they loved their kids at all
3: okay you look like you did
2: Wait what?
1: Shit. I. I kind of had a look of doubt that you said they love their kids. Yes, Marianne and Bob.
2: Yes. Well, maybe not Marianne. Sorry, Sky. Uh, I just. Did you
1: see in the when they were in the? Did you see where they were watching the flower shop burn and Bob was holding the kids? You see, Mary went over and <laughs> <She laughs> lit, <a, laughs> lit a cigarette, in the
2: the flames. No, <laughs> I, I
1: totally missed that. It's in the FBI files. It's it's in there.
2: But uh, I'm I, I'm serious. You you don't come out the way. You Jim know what? Did. Uh, I'm
1: I I think I think families are the most interesting and unique. There's no one uh, mold, one set of rules, one set of right. Every family is so special and different than the next. I mean there's literally no two the same and I think it is very unfair I'll put this on me. I think it is very unfair not unfair, she's putting herself in a in a film. You're gonna as an audience member, it is fair for me to have a a a, yeah, a reaction yeah. and in this to her. You're
0: supposed
2: to.
1: But by no means do I think my reaction and my feelings about her from watching this film are truth. I don't think that I know her soul. I don't think I know her heart. No film can capture that. She. I get what she gave me. I get what Sky gave me. And I, I'm I'm aware enough to leave it at that. And the fact that we'll get to this at the end, the fact that Jan is cool with
3: Marianne it means a lot. What right.
1: kind of asshole am I to 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 not be? Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: So we'll, we'll we'll touch on that. We're we're getting there. We're almost almost to the end of this. In, well, not quite. Uh, it gets even crazier. Hey, folks! One more brief commercial interruption, courtesy of our friends at Drew Estate. The Herrera Steli Miami is crafted by Level 9 Rollers from Cuba at the El Titan de Bronze on Caleocho in Little Havana, Miami. The complete Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly crafted with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. It's only available to Drew Diplomat retailers now in five unique Vitolas, It's creamy, it's light on spice, it's delicious. Now get on out there and find you one. Do it now. So, they can't peg the arson on B for some reason, or the impersonating a CIA agent charge on B. B's in jail. Uh, Yeah, I guess the the two guys either didn't talk or they just couldn't get the evidence they needed, and... uh, I guess the nuns weren't cooperating with the impersonating of CIA I was about to say, agent. How
2: does he walk on all of this? Well, he gets acquitted on both
1: the kidnapping charges, also due to mental illness, and he's released from a mental facility after six months. The FBI agent flat out puts the blame here on Jan's parents. If they had hadn't dropped the ball initially when That's they true. when they signed those affidavits, they could have convicted this bastard a long time ago. So now we hear some audio from. Well, that's the-
2: that's one thing, and just to, just to clarify, like my wife was just like, at one point, because I un- she was like, I understand that the parents are like, all right, I'm not going to press charges. But at one point, does the FBI and the, the police say, screw you, we're going to press charges anyway? Well, they did. And I was like, well, yeah, but what does it matter when all of a sudden your star witnesses, all your corroborating witnesses, don't testify, yeah. you have no case?
1: Yeah, they, they did the best they could with what they had. So,
2: no, no he made a great point. If they, if they would have just followed through, all of this would have been gone. And there's a great moment, too, that we
1: neglected to point out. I thought it was a really human moment from the FBI agent where he was like, you know, I'm in Idaho, away from my family, for God knows how long, to help your family, and then you do this, like, he he took it personal. He should. Uh, He should. I can't hear Scott.
3: Yeah, he he definitely took it personally, and, I mean, this was a, a, this case really set Pete Welsh off on his entire career, like, it affected his entire career path. It stuck with him forever.
4: Ooh, go into
2: that.
3: He just, you know, it was his first case. He got he'd come from Los Angeles actually, and um, was was working, I think, in the homicide division with the police force, and had gotten a job in the FBI. And this was his first case with the FBI. And he had a daughter that was the same age as Jan. Oh wow! And it was huge for him. It was it was his first experience really dealing with any kind of pedophilia and I think he really personalized that with his daughter a lot and 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 put himself threw himself into this case in such a massive way. I mean literally he was sleeping on their sofa, he was over there all the time. Oh wow. And so so when and I don't think he quite understood why the Brobergs would sign these affidavits. And when they did that I think it really did hurt him. It wasn't just this weird thing that people did I think he felt like it was I mean he took it personally and um, but was really committed to them and, and and stayed friends with the Brobergs actually for a number of years after everything had kind of I don't want to say blown over but had sort of gone beyond the point of oh well, yeah of you've the, gone
2: through this very traumatic experience
3: yeah yeah, yeah uh, for
1: sure Oh, that's that's really interesting to hear. Um, but you could, without knowing that, you kind of got that just from his delivery and his his uh, restrained. He was very restrained and and, and professional in his interview. <laughs> I but love you,
4: this too. <laughs> but you could tell the guy the guy
1: was pissed. Um, yeah. And you know what? It was kind of cool too. You know, uh, not to go off on a at all tangent, and I'll, I'll veer off in ten seconds. But you know. With with all the shit about you know certain political figures shitting on the FBI and 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 whatnot uh, to see what you know actually goes on in the trenches and in these cases and what these guys invest into it it was kind of uh, I always knew that I, I didn't need to see this to know that these guys are doing amazing yeah work that is beyond stuff that we realize. Yeah. um but it, it was he was kind of like the you couldn't find a more pillar FBI agent that does it for the right reasons uh it, yeah he was great
4: okay
3: he, he's and he functions I mean from a from kind of a, a technical point he does function as as a character that you can kind of hold on to and trust yeah which which really Becomes important, I think, in this film that that he's the voice of reason. No, and
2: you're. And even, ab-
3: even if the documentary kind of, I mean, if the FBI kind of let Jan down, which I I I think they may have, but but he's the voice of reason, and he's he's the one you can kind of grasp onto.
2: No, I think you're absolutely right in that sense that in all of this insanity. Yeah. He is the rationalization. I mean, he's the the one that you can relate to. Well, him and B's brother. No, I can't relate to B's brother. No, but I
1: got the sense that he wasn't bullshitting me.
2: Well, yeah, he might not have been bullshitting me, but I'm like, dude, fuck you. (laughs) What'd he do? Uh, He did what brothers would do.
1: Oh, you mean, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, he knew his brother was a pedophile, and he gave him a job, and yeah, okay, you're right, you're right, sorry. FBI guy. (laughs) There you go. So now we hear some audio... (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So now we hear some audio from B where he's explaining that his therapist determined that due to his traumatic childhood, he went off to live with his stepfather. He claims he was sexually abused as a young man. And the fact that his only purpose as a young man was to look after his younger sister, well, he took that purpose and that goal with him into adulthood As far as, I need to look after another little girl, and that's Jan. Bullshit. What is bullshit, of course? Um, No arguments there. Meanwhile, Jan goes off to drama camp. Uh, She's been back home for a while, and she wants to go to drama camp. I think at BYU. Yes. Uh, Her parents were hesitant to let her go to drama camp. That you're hesitant about? (laughs) I was actually... (laughs) Family Fun Park... Sleeping with the
2: guy in your bed four nights a week?
1: Man, I don't know about drama camp.
2: I was
5: actually that on, sounds I was, fishy. Yeah, sounds.
2: I was actually on board with the drama camp. I was just like, all right, she's got to get back to somewhat of normalcy. Of course, she's not going there I with me. She's going there with a bunch of friends.
3: And her parents have real they they've, they've seen the light at this point. Like, they they've, had, they've,
1: but Marianne was hesitant. Yeah. <laughs> He's just I not gonna like let let kill marry I want to know more about this anything goes production <laughs> while at camp and having normal experiences with boys her age and whatnot. she starts to realize that the alien's mission might kind of be bullshit because she's doing some things that go against that. Well, she turns sixteen none of well, not yet none of the threats are coming true at this point. Tut when her sixteenth birthday comes, she's home now. And goes without any tragic events unfolding. Remember, she had to get pregnant at, at 16. Her sister's not blind. Her father's not dead. There was a thing where she was off at camp and her mom called that the dogs were sick. And she thought that was her fault because she was not following the mission. Right. But the next day when mom calls, all right, you know what? I'm going to give something nice to Mary Ann. Mary Ann. called her to tell her the dogs were fine. And she's like, oh, shit okay, maybe I'm not causing all these things to go through. She's finally able to realize the alien mission isn't real, and she's able to tell her best friend first, then her sisters, and eventually her parents about everything that's been hanging over her head all these years.
2: I have to stop here. Uh, There was one scene in there where she talks about actually going back and killing her sister to where... Me and my wife, we were we were literally just like hand over mouth. Oh my fucking god!
1: That's how much it's that's how much he's got ingrained into her psyche.
2: And it was believable from Jan's perspective to where I'm like, she's wanting to protect her. This is a girl who's been trying to protect her family for four years now. That's her entire operation. Not just her, her family.
1: I kind of got the sense it was the weight of the world. Yes, this is on a mass scale. This is aliens. This is she is Jesus, and this is this is much bigger than her family. I mean, that's how bad. He didn't just bring the thunder on her family. He, I, I got the sense that it was full scale annihilation there, there, and she was a, didn't.
2: there was a point in where I'm like, if this story would have went there, I was just like, oh my God, I can see it going there.
1: Oh, where Jan hurt one of her siblings? Oh jeez. Oh, right. God Sky. That i w- I'm with him. If you if you if that went there I just I can't go in. <laughs> I don't think I
3: could have either. Was this like
1: the sixth the sixth twist?
3: Just like yeah.
1: holy shit, man. Uh <laughs> fuck you B Then Bob gives the FBI guy a handjob. I'm
2: like, I I just can't, I can't, I
1: can't deal with this.
2: Settle down.
1: No, no nobody. I'm just teasing. So after her daughter, after her daughter has been inhumanly violated over 200 times, that's factoring the two kidnappings and everything that happened in between. And 28 years have now passed. We're skipping way ahead now. Mom Marianne decides to write a book. Stolen innocence. I thought it was blind innocence. No, stolen. No, innocence. Stolen. Okay. She and Jan go on a book tour. Jan's now a, an adult, and there's uh, a book tour and a speaking circuit to tell their story, to help other runaway or not runaway, but other kids who've been victimized and, and kidnapped. Sky, in your opinion, is Marianne an opportunist in any way, shape, or form? Writing this book because you know, Jan's like, I would talk to my mom, and all of a sudden, my mom pulled out a notebook and just started writing it all down. Was there an opportunist angle in here, or was this truly a mother's way of helping her daughter cope with tragedy? Zero,
3: zero, zero opportunist angle, okay. Like, honestly, I believe that 100%. Um, I it's funny because. I never felt that way. And then since the film has come out, I've seen people say, Oh, she's just trying to make a butt. And I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of, you know, just knowing how much, how much, you know, just how much money isn't made. They, they self-published this book.
4: Yeah. It's
3: money to get it out there. There was no publisher involved to give them anything. There was zero opportunistic.
1: That was, was cer- that, that was certainly the angle that B took. Like, you're just trying to get a movie made, you're, uh, yes. you're doing this. Yes. But you know what? We talk a lot in this movie about human beings and how intricately different they are and how everyone operates according to their own. Here's another cool thing about human beings. I may have had some doubts. That opportunist versus nurturing mother trying to help her daughter thing. The cool thing about humans is we learn to form relationships and friendships, and we trust those people. Sky spent more time with Marianne beyond what we've seen. I trust Sky. Sky's my friend. When Sky says with 100% certainty in her voice that she did this to help Jan and to help get their story out there, boom, I believe you. Okay, that that's all I need to hear was Sky say that, and I'm.
3: But, okay, so here's my question, but you didn't believe it from the film. You you thought there was some opportunistic...
1: I didn't know. I didn't know. No. I, I factored in everything I'd seen from Marianne p- prior to that, and my perception of her prior to that book getting written, and that led me to question... Not to determine, you know, she's an opportunist, but to question whether...
3: And was this... Okay, so I have another question. So was this before, like, strictly based on the documentary or from some of the social media stuff that you have no, seen? No, I
1: don't, I don't, read, any, I don't
2: yeah. read any of that. I, no, I came into sh- this entirely blind.
1: I literally haven't read one review. I haven't read one. I'm not on Twitter. I don't... Okay. He, Todd handles our Twitter. I'd never go on Twitter. I I haven't read... I try to do everything we do as cold. It's
3: cold. Okay. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Um. But,
3: like you had an inkling that she was trying to capitalize on this. Well, that's well, that's my just only, our my age o- and our
2: cynicism kicking in,
3: right well, there. No,
1: but no, it wasn't my cynicism kicking no, it in. Is. It was my cynicism kicking in based on what I perceived of her in the last hour and a half. I what? I I did really
4: I,
2: I didn't get the regret. There was yeah. there was there was like there, and I will admit there was like a passing moment where the way it was framed i was just kind of like did she have this plan was did she start did she make the decision oh, I, never, I
1: never thought she started this plan back in the 70s no, so no, she no, could no, no, write no. she could write a book no
2: no but did she decide to write the book before she got Jane involved or you know was it just like hey why don't we write a book and it was collaborative, that kind of thing? I'll be honest, it was I, a split second to where I was like, maybe no, this is a collaboration. If I if I sat down, absolutely.
1: If I, I'm just saying, if if I sat down with anybody and started pouring my heart out about stuff that I'd kept inside from a traumatic experience, and their first instinct was to pull out a pad of paper. I don't think that's
2: how it went down I think it's that's what and it's, maybe that, it, and that, maybe that, that's I, how it
1: was in the film she pulled out a pet paper and started writing this stuff down
2: yeah but I, I don't think that it was meant to portray it that way I think it was I think it probably happened like us with this project we we're sitting at a bar having beers telling stories and like you know what maybe we should do a podcast and then it was a collaboration from that moment on I think that's how it came about and then it came use as a coping mechanism between daughter and mother
1: well now I 100% believe that because if Skye says that's what it was, that's what it was
3: yeah it but, is very interesting though how, how, how perceptions are different because it's I mean I, I completely believe that's how it was and and it was, I think it was really Jan sort of pushing it to happen saying mom I, I don't remember a lot of this stuff because I was young and I've, I've pushed a lot of it out, and I need you to help me sort of put the pieces together.
1: I, I guess maybe I missed that part yeah. in the film yeah. where it was Jan yeah. pushing for that. That that would have that would have gone.
2: I'm sorry, Sky. You should have been a little bit more heavy-handed when you presented <laughs> it that way for us.
3: Emphased fisted
2: <laughs> You need to beat us over the head with it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Noted. Next
1: time. <laughs> all of a sudden, Kate doesn't like esoteric stuff. Yeah,
3: <laughs> no, what the fuck happened? Like, it's Oh, earlier
2: in the podcast, you're like, confusion. I love it.
1: I took credit for the branch hanging over the RV, but now I don't like riddles. I don't like, uh, you
4: know.
1: <laughs> I'm a Michael Bruckhammer guy, all of a sudden. Okay. Okay. <laughs> B is not taking this book tour lying down. God damn it. He starts doing interviews and spreading flyers wherever they go on these tours calling bullshit on their claims. He says there was no aliens. They're making all this stuff up. He goes to court to fight a restraining order that Jan's filed against him for stalking. God, I wish that footage was clear. The courtroom video... Because you know it's you, it's quarter, like I think it was like 2000. Yeah, it was de-
2: it was it was like 2005.
1: SD, to con- SD but it looked like VHS 80. Like, yeah, I wanted oh, it, I wanted yeah. to, as she as Jan turns to him and you couldn't see really his features. Right, I was like, oh my god, I wish that was a clear little moment there.
3: Okay, let me let me just give this little argument because How'd not you get, an argument. How
1: do you get that
4: footage? But, no, it's oh, courtroom.
3: No, this didn't. This courtroom, yes, it came from the courtroom. But, but at the very last minute, like we were cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting, and then all of a sudden, I, I somehow, I think, got mistakenly cc'd on an email saying something about courtroom footage. I'm like, courtroom footage? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Hang on, what courtroom footage? She's like, oh, the restraining order footage. I'm like, I don't have this footage can I get this footage? Oh, yeah, I'll send it to you. And I was like, I don't know how I got succeed on this. And I'm like, this is amazing. Oh, because Jen told us about this, and I'm like, but seeing her and Birch told even as fuzzy oh as my it God. was... As fuzzy
1: as it was, her, her con- confronting him... Oh, my God. And saying, when he's like, you just want to make a movie. Like, no, no, no. I just want to make everyone aware of evil in the world like you. As blurry as it was... Just like the audio and everything else in this film, the audio is all you need.
4: Yeah. I know. Oh I
3: know. my god! And Holy even shit. I have to say, even like just the proximity of Jan and Birchfield—they're they're like, like, they're
2: right there,
1: three
3: feet away. Here, right? Was, they're like here. It was crazy. Like, how can you not have lawyers in between? Like, how? What? How is well, this?
5: Like, you know, what is happening? I noticed in this thing, like you the bailiffs are just leaning off against the wall on the side like <laughs> whatever man this is
2: they've never been around your parents
1: you have no idea the monster that's sitting in front of you which they didn't but how crazy is that it took you a, a freak email to get that
3: a freak email and I was like can I get this well uh, I, yeah I guess and I'm like you know and we've been saying give us everything you have and that's always a, a challenging thing but like getting that footage to me oh. and seeing the actual kind of face off because like Jan had told us you know how she responded to him in the courtroom but seeing it
2: hearing,
1: and it. I
3: think blurry footage may have actually helped it a little bit you know it was great.
2: I loved it.
1: Oh I yeah. It. Well, oh yeah. It's 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 one of the top here, here's as like as, you know, as as visually imperfect as it is, it's so necessary.
2: And it, and here's the one thing that I will say about its imperfection is that because you can't see it so crystal clear, you can put yourself in that situation. There's that blurriness there to where you can actually interject yourself into that.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Good point. He fights
1: uh, in court, the restraining order, as we just kind of summed up, and not only does he fail, uh, they grant her a restraining order for the remainder of his life. Which is very... Very rare. Very rare. Uh, But, man, finally... After all this... All this, they finally get something right. Uh, But that still doesn't stop B. He shows up at a speech she's delivering at a college, and upon arriving... He runs into a group of bikers there. Oh, I love
2: you, bikers! No,
1: literally, he runs into a group of bikers. Uh, they're there. They're there to protect Jan. They're called Baca, the bikers against child abuse.
5: I've never heard of this group, but I love you. Oh yeah, no, uh, they they go to uh, courts, all uh, uh, court cases all the time. They will literally. Shield children. It's kind of like physically a, shield
2: them from. It's kind of like the uh, biker group that used to hang out with Westboro. Yeah, block where, like, funerals, soldiers' block funerals. funerals.
1: Yeah, uh, these guys are great. Uh, he makes some threat. He shows up. He makes some threats, and then he actually runs over one of the bikers and takes off. When the cops stop B, he's got a gun in his possession and is charged immediately with three felonies and two misdemeanors. Uh, not interested in spending a single day in prison, B swallows a bunch of heart medicine, washed down with kahlua and milk. That's weak sauce, and commits suicide.
2: Didn't you say that uh, Sky was drinking kahlua? It and was milk an earlier? inside
1: joke. She was drinking vodka. Uh, yeah, he kills himself, which is one way for that.
2: And then when you cut to, to the brother saying all this, very matter-of-factly, yeah, you know, he just drank, a, drank some glow milk, milton killed himself. It was so surreal. <laughs> it was um, just a really weird moment.
1: And that's, and that's the end. The only way the story could end, really, is with B's death. Uh, turns out he had molested several other girls over the years. Oh, Convicted geez. once, served one year in prison. Jan emerges truly, astoundingly strong and victorious. She says she was able to forgive her parents by helping them forgive themselves. Which, as we said, man, she's a much better person than I am. She blames B, the puppet master, for all their mistakes. I might not be able to give them a pass as easily, but she can, so you know what? I'm going to take a step back. And it was. It's like one thing to do, make mistakes when you're calling your own shots. It's another thing to make mistakes when everything you're doing has been predetermined and orchestrated by this psycho. Um, Okay. So Mary and Bob are forgiven. I'm still not letting them babysit my kids anytime soon. Did y'all notice in the final scene as Mary Ann says she only blames herself? She still threw Bob under the, the bus. She says, I'll never forgive myself. I put the blame solely on me. I know Bob feels like he did a lot of stuff, too. That's those little jabs there that I... Eh.
3: I don't think so at all. I'm, te-
2: <laughs> I'm team Bob. No, break in I here, know, Sky.
3: I, I I don't think she was doing that at all. She, she totally
1: said, I'm quoting, I'll never forgive myself, and I put the blame oh, solely on me. Solely on me.
3: Solely on me. And
1: I know Bob feels like he did a lot of stuff, too.
3: She's acknowledging his feelings. She's not saying he's lame.
1: Look, he was a gay florist in the 70s. That shit couldn't have been easy. He did the best he could with what he had available to him at the time. <laughs> I I guess I'm just... I, I guess that little comment from her I'm reading different than... Than than Sky, I'm but, team, I'm
2: Team Bob too, but I'm definitely not as hardcore anti-Marianne as you.
1: Well, no, that's changed. Once Sky, once we addressed the book thing, yeah, Sky,
2: but it took Sky to tell you that. I
3: that's I why I said like, we're human. To me, because oh. I see it happening sort of all over social media, just people's responses, and it's it's very intriguing to me. I can't explain it. I can't like make it go away or whatever, but it's. But it's sky
2: very, no but sky we need to explore this no but Explain.
1: sky no, no but sky it's like that with with a a narrative film it's like that you know you can direct a narrative film and think that your one character is you know this is this is my protagonist and then you read the reviews and people hate this guy or a character that you think is hilarious people on social media and reviews find annoying and completely not funny In the end, it's a film, and all they're getting is 90 minutes, and when I shifted gears after Sky told me her impression of Marianne, that's, I'm getting insight that I, outside of that 90 minutes I was shown, from a trusted source, Sky Sky believes her, I believe her.
3: Yeah, because we have this whatever, however many hours we have here, but... But ultimately, what most people are getting are the 90 minutes that they right. are receiving from Netflix. Right. So it's a very and and that look. It's great to have this other insight that, that but, we have here. But but. But but
1: you're saying, Sky, with with without me reading reviews and without me being very, you're saying there's a lot of people out there that are are viewing Marianne the same as me.
3: Oh, absolutely. There's no question. Yes. Okay, but I mean, so it's uh, but invalid, that, not invalid at all. No, it's very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, it should be. You, you, you created it.
3: Right. Yes, and and I also think it's valid. I mean, you're responsible for Cade. Why?
1: Hey, no. don't put me on her. Nobody's <laughs> responsible for Cade. Don't you put that I, on her? Don't you put that on her? I I what? I. I, I I had no idea going into this if if if, if that viewpoint was going to be you know shared by these guys or shared by you, or I I have no idea what's going on with this film other than you know just my friend made it and I know it's popular and I want I want to talk about it and I think it's really really good. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I'm validated by other people viewing Marianne the same no, way.
2: No, I I think it's a very I would hope argument.
1: I would hope that given the unique way we do our show here sky I, I don't know if you've done anything like this for this film where you've kind of walked through the film and and kind of done an interactive thing like this i have, I have you I, I don't think so
3: no i have not and this has been incredible because well well first of all we have a relationship which which i love and i know you and i trust you and there's and and part of what I love about this is 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 this dichotomy that exists between us, but also this 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 likeness of mind, um, where it's really wonderful to kind of talk about these differences and similarities of the film and our different approaches to it in a very creative, collaborative, and enlightening way, and that I absolutely adore. And and those kind of situations where where we can discuss things, really important stuff, it doesn't happen very often.
1: It 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 doesn't and and kind of what we do every 2 weeks is, you know, we get a round table of 3 or 4 and hey, uh more shows than not there's disagreements and maybe some flip-flopping of opinions, but we're all kind of stubborn, and we come into a movie with our own, you know, I hated this. But then, like, all of a sudden, like you're like, you know what, I never thought about it like that, and, all right, you, you won me over there. I think having the filmmaker at the table to be able to, you know, add insight, for one, combat criticism with... Information we didn't get
2: from the film I just want to say that I want to put that in a promo because that's the way America should be I agree it should it should
3: I
4: agree
1: if America was one big family fun center <laughs> no, no. no oh no no, no. sorry sorry oh, that wasn't a quick agreement <laughs> no no everybody agrees we don't want that okay I'm sorry okay uh, yeah, it, it, I I think this is a really cool format, especially for a film like this where we're dealing with real human beings and real things, and we have a person here who got way more exposure to these actual people than than we got in ninety minutes. I think it was incredibly uh, valuable. I think especially if people who've watched the film and want answers, hopefully we've let Sky provide some insight that maybe wasn't. Uh, available anywhere else um, it was fun yeah. and it was and it was, oh, yes. and it was and it was and it was we didn't betray what we do here we we took you through the story yes and we just had a lot of help from sky it was nice
2: okay sky i have one final question yeah
1: oh I'm i have a few, I, I got about. a few
2: finals but go ahead um, okay so you're wrapping up the film and it gets to the credit rolls yeah. and you're choosing the music behind that. There's part of me that wanted you to go with uh, Jan singing the Oliver Twist music. <laughs> oh, oh, I wanted that. What
1: was that creepy Christmas song you used in the 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 the, the Christmas Eve when Grace comes over to sign the affidavit? You used this like really like demonic children's. that was that was.
2: I'm yep. just saying because was there nice. there's a point where in the letters he was talking about all oh, you need to do. Remember when you sang that song and Oliver Twist and just sing that for me every day and I'm like, if you would have use that, oh my God, that would be the most sick thing I oh Well Skye's
1: not sick. She's got she's got a heart and a soul, something you two would know nothing about. I, <laughs>
5: Why am I lumped in with that? You He's the one <laughs> over here wanting to hear the creepy <laughs> me why, why did I get lumped in with that? Do you think that, that
1: Marianne or, or Bob, when she was going off to drama camp at BYU, could have been like, you guys aren't performing Oliver Twist, are you? <sighs> you son
4: of, a, son of a
3: bitch. All right, so let me just throw this out there. So, so I, ha- I had an incredible composer, Carl Dante, and we got into a festival, and I said, hey, Carl, and I talked to him. He was collaborating with me, Two years before the film was finished, I said, as he people, should, can you work on some themes? Can you like, you know, can you work on themes? And we, we worked that into the, the cut. And then we got into a festival and said, okay, you have to compose the entire score in two weeks. And he was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. F you. And he, he had a sort of idea about it, but he composed it. And I, I was like, this is great. I love it. And. If I'd had more time, I wouldn't have changed a thing.
1: No, I, you know, the the score was, you know, I always talk on the on the show, you know, some of the best scores are like carpet.
2: It was absolutely yeah. texture.
1: They're they're there, but if they're texture. good, if they're good, you um, don't notice them. It was yeah. absolutely, and there's only a few times in the film, like that Christmas Eve scene with that creepy little kid singing, that I that I recognized it. Yeah, but it kept it going, and it it it, it was a, a a very continuous, very had a good flow. It was all very. It
2: was a great pace throughout insane. the entire yeah. project because yeah. you know my wife and I watched it, and there was we actually paused it way more times so we could actually talk about different scenes. Uh, there was never a time where I looked up and I was like, "Geez, when's this going to end?" You know we got to be we no. got to be around the third day no, somewhere. I, no, I, I it was it was so well paced. It was it was it was
1: extremely well placed, well paced. Uh, real quick, I reached out to our Facebook. Uh, I guess I do do social media. I reached out to Facebook today. Uh-huh. He told, does Facebook. T- told them we were talking, and uh, I asked if they had any questions. So I picked one uh, okay. from Mister John Bowles. He said, Jan and all the family members, including B's brother, seemed incredibly forthcoming. Was it difficult in any instance to get them to talk? Was there anybody that you.
3: I mean, I think, I think really the only person that I was personally nervous about was Joe Birch told. Um, and, and it wasn't nervous about going to talk to him. As it was that he wouldn't talk to us. And I, I really wanted to get someone from Birch family you had to, to have, give us
4: a... You
1: had to have somebody.
3: I, I mean, it, it, it was so important. I think it was so important to just get that perspective, yeah. but, but other than that, like, I mean, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard talking to these people, but it was,
1: were they were they offered any kind of compensation or future compensation? Was anybody paid for anything? No. Nothing?
3: No. No. No, really. Um, there, we didn't pay anybody to be in the documentary. And, and there's a, a huge ethical conversation going along with that. I, I believe that people shouldn't be paid because I believe it could sort of sway them into saying what you want them to say. But I and I I know there's some things out there on social media which I know Cage you don't know about but um (laughs)
1: you're talking about MySpace is that oh
3: my god these people must have paid a lot of money if they're willing to if they're willing to sort of air their dirty laundry and I said they're going I mean how much money would you have to be paid
4: yeah yeah
2: no how
3: much like I can't even imagine how much money somebody would have to pay me to divulge something far less than this
4: yeah I
3: know in my heart of hearts that the only reason Jan and her parents and her family are telling this story so openly is because they want to save lives. They want to get this message out there. There's no other reason to me that they would tell this story than they want to say, look, this could happen to you. We want you to know we did this. We want you to know we understand it can happen to other people. And if we can save a life, we're going to try to do that.
2: And I really think that there is deep down within us all, while we look at them and we say, how can you do this? How can you do that? How can you not do all this? there's still an aspect deep down to where we realize this can happen, and that's what makes it so
3: really weird. I, I mean, I, I hope... In a weird way, I hope that's the case. Like I don't know that I hope that's exactly the case, but I hope that the film has the, that slow burn quality where people sort of see are going, that's super weird... I don't believe this can happen, but that it sticks with them so that if in the future we get to a point where it's like that's happening to someone, they can go, oh, hang on a second. Remember this film? And that happened. And I'm sure those parents maybe have this feeling, but I got that feeling. So I'm going to do something to stop this. No, and I th-
2: I, I, I think you're spot on with that is that there's that whole rejection from the first hand you're like This is stupid There's no way I would ever do this Right. And then all of a sudden you find yourself In that situation to where you're like Oh crap I'm in that situation yeah. It's like I found out Like uh, again I have cats so I know exactly how this feels yeah. right. uh, Here we go I'm a cat and a
3: dog I, I know exactly how this feels too
2: I, I learned from friends of mine That you know We would have sleepovers all the time When I was growing up that, yeah. scene, that scene on the trampoline i've I've been there been, I know i, I yeah. I've, I've had that and then when I find out that people aren't letting their kids sleep over with their friends because of this concern at first I'm like well that's stupid that's dumb no it's not
4: yeah, it, it I've,
2: does yeah. I,
1: I've been referred to with my girls as a helicopter pilot I guess that's a term helicopter parent helicopter parent yes I'm an Apache helicopter parent. Sick <laughs> <Seek> and destroy. <laughs> My kids don't play with anybody. My so kids... do you have
3: sleepovers? No. Yeah. I, I I just heard recently, it's like, there's no such thing as a sleepover. I'm like, really? Like, so we weird. have sleepovers all the time. Nope. Like, that was no, a no. thing. Like if, sleepovers. if they
1: ask me why, I just send them a, a link
2: to your film. I... <laughs> there you go thank you Sky you single handedly destroyed <laughs> you killed
1: the American sleepover you happy now
3: I'm happy I'm happy that makes me happy
1: yeah. um yeah no I, I I. I don't when it comes to my kids I'm I, I don't uh, you know
2: but that's like guess you know, what you, you
1: can go to the media all you want about the hand jobs you gave me I don't care
2: <laughs> I'm going to go... That's what makes this whole situation so weird. Is that it, Yes,
1: you did. you did. Good thing we're not recording.
2: Huh. No, we're totally recording. Damn it. My ah.
1: kids come first.
2: That's what makes yeah. this whole situation so weird. That's all that so matters.
1: Weird. The girls, that's all that matters. Yeah. You do what you got to do. And I think in their own twisted way through Sky's beautiful storytelling, we got to see some imperfect human beings... Come to grips with a very unimaginable. As much as I fault Bob and Marianne, what are the odds that this maniac who could plan out this Venn diagram of he anticipated every single move? If they go here, I've got a, I've got a alibi already. If they go here, like. What are the odds in 1974 but the, but that this little suburban there, family would get dropped there. in the midst of a maniacal well like I said I mean insane he's he's thought of everything that's that's it. that's what's the, the brilliance of the story ahead, is not what these guys failed at as parents is not what Jan threw it's that this freak of nature
2: psychopath he's not a freak of nature no. Well, no,
1: he's not. There's he's a, lot not a psychopath. You're he's right. Sociopath. There's he a lot clearly of clearly had no conscience. There's a lot of them out there. I mean, yes, sir. It, it,
2: right. It's hard to understand because we, like I said, we haven't been in. We haven't. We haven't met June Jones. June Jones got hundreds of people to drink Kool Aid and kill themselves and kill other people. Mansfield. Mansfield.
1: Mansfield. Manson.
2: Yeah. Got Manson. Got Thank you, Sky. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Uh, he got other fe- he got other people to kill for him. I mean, there are these people that are that charismatic that can absolutely dominate your life. Of course, we, we grew- haven't we- met them. We but- grew
1: we grew up thirty miles down the road from Crash. Crash. Cres- Cres- Sky and right? I Sky and I filmed a-, a scene all about Waco.
4: Yeah,
1: I thought it was a very haunting cinematic.
3: And now there's a home
4: improvement
2: show. And then (laughs) what... Why why couldn't they have burned them alive? Did I say it out loud? (laughs) Yes, you did. I didn't hear anything. Chip and Joanna are national treasures. (laughs) They are. I don't know. (laughs) Waco thinks they are.
1: I'd rather (laughs) hear Koresh play his guitar for 30 minutes than watch that show. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, Okay, well, we answered John Bull's question. And uh, I got two more questions for you, Sky, and then we're going to cut you loose. Coming into this... Now, granted, this is five years ago. You said you've been in this knee-deep for five years. Jeez. As as a podcaster, which I guess I am now.
2: Yeah, after two years.
1: 88 episodes in. um, Man, true crime podcasts are it. They're all the rage. Now you've got all these serial uh, crime things on Netflix, on Prime, you know, the Ted Bundy stuff. It's like, one, do you have an opinion on why this shit is so popular? Because I don't get it. Like, I watched this because my friend made it. I have no interest in watching... Oh, my wife loves this. I have no interest in watching this kind of crime stuff. I tried the other night when... I started thinking about this when I was watching it. I was like, you know what, 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 like, figure, true crime figure am I most kind of in, interested in? And I was like, well, I, I thought of Dahmer. Mm-hmm. The guy who killed all the the male prostitutes and all that.
2: And there's a new one now on Netflix, uh, Ted Bundy. There's.
1: But I was like, you know what, I'll try to watch a little bit on, on Jeffrey Dahmer. I just picked Dahmer out of a raffle. I couldn't watch... It was interview footage. uh, One, Sky, can you put any kind of sense on why true crime is so big right now? And two, did you know five years ago that this was a growing kind of genre to where there would be an audience for this?
3: Yeah. So I just recently, and this is going to sound completely kind of, I don't know what this is gonna sound like. I didn't know my film was a true crime film. I thought my film was a film about child abuse. And so that it has gotten such traction in the true crime genre has only recently become apparent to me. And that was when the Toronto True Crime Film Festival Contacted me and were like, Will you be our opening night film? And I was like, Was this a thing? And I had, and there were so many people in the audience. I'm like, Oh, hang on. Do I have a true crime film? And literally, it was, it was very much like I had was very short sighted in this regard. But when I started to figure out, Oh, maybe this is a. Keepers, or Jinx, or Murder Mountain, now, or Ted Bundy tapes, or, oh, or Fire documentary.
1: I don't even um, know what those things are. You're saying.
3: These are huge, giant true crime <laughs> Netflix films. Okay, yeah,
2: way those, to do your research, Cade.
3: Are those?
2: I don't know what those things are. You're.
3: I know. Um... And I was like, I guess ours is one of those that people could be interested in. So, so it was a bit of a revelation to me because I never had really set out to make a true crime film. I'd, I'd set out to try to figure out how some guy could infiltrate a family yeah. and it became a true crime film. And that, and that has, has been, our film has gotten a lot of, recognition because of the word of mouth because of this. And I have to say, it's it's kind of been this lightning in a bottle kind of thing because...
1: Oh, you got to ride it. you got to ride it.
3: Well, not only that, but it's... I, I don't... I kind of go, okay, so the tip Mindy Takes is a Netflix documentary. Keepers is a Netflix documentary. Ours is not a Netflix documentary. Netflix My, bought it. Yeah, you sold it. And, and what's really happening with our film is that people are talking about it. And it's going from this very indie kind of thing that it was three women that came together and were committed to making this, that made it, and we've done everything on our own, and somehow, through a lot of work, and a lot of very articulated work, but we've got people talking about a film on Netflix that isn't a Netflix film, and comparing it to Netflix films that have millions of dollars sure. budget. Sure. Well. And that is is. Remarkable. Awesome. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And,
1: and awesome. But I mean, yeah. you started showing this in festivals in 2017.
3: Yes. Yeah. And none of the big ones. We didn't get into Sundance. We didn't get into Slam Dance. We didn't get into South by Southwest or Cannes or Berlin or. Toronto or Tribeca. We didn't get into any of the big ones. We got into the the regional festivals, who who brought us out, and mostly in the southern states, who were really giving us a lot of love and feeling like this was an important film to show. And I'm and it was I'm amazing.
2: Really, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really curious. You said mostly in the southern states. Why why that?
3: I have no idea. Like. It was the festivals that accepted us. If you look at our, our sort of festival record, it was Mississippi, it was Wichita, Kansas, it was Texas, it was uh, Birmingham, Alabama, it was uh, North Carolina, it was, it was not...
1: Yeah, that's bizarre.
3: New York, Washington, D.C. We did get into Chicago, but it was not... It was very heavily Southern influenced. Yeah. And I wonder. Very interesting aspect. I,
2: I wonder, and this is just me armchair quarterbacking here. I wonder if that's because in the South you have so many pockets of isolated communities that could relate.
3: I hope that's the case. I mean, Idea, I really
1: ideally, that. that would, in a perfect world, right? that would make sense. I, I don't know.
3: Yeah, that there's. Film festival programmers out there who recognize that, who invite films to address that, and who bring audiences in who appreciate that. I mean, that's, to me, that's what film festivals are all about. And I would much rather be in those film festivals than these big film festivals that are just sort of these Hollywood industry kind of things that are catering to the status quo. So, I'm very happy with that. Um, and, and I'm perceiving that that's the case. I don't know if it is, but I hope it is.
1: Okay. Well, that kind of leads me into my, my last question. Yeah. How has your experience been with Netflix as a streaming partner? Uh, it's been trending for, I guess, a few weeks now. If not more. Everyone's talking about the film, as you said. I mean, are you and your producers going to make some money off of this? Because if you're not, as, as popular as this thing is, if you don't see a nice financial return, I mean, where's the hope out there for for making some money, you know, yeah. successfully streaming?
3: Yeah, I think the hope. Look, we'll, we'll make our money back on this one. Um, what was the budget I, on this one? The budget, it depends on how you sort of figure it. So if it's hard money in, we were at a hundred. Okay. If it's worth, I kind of value it at five hundred because I worked for free. Like I haven't gotten paid. I've put in all this money myself. I've financed it. So, so it's a little bit hard to, I mean, hard money and what it's worth. Who knows? Like, I I value myself not super high, but like, what I would expect to gain from any other job I'm working. Yeah. Um, so we'll break even and make a little bit. It's not, we're not going to get rich on it. The hope is that it will bring enough eyeballs, I guess, to kind of garner some sort of path forward and to make the next film. I'm not sure how that's going to. I don't know if it's it's with somebody sort of paying us to do everything, or whether it's just an opportunity where somebody finances something that I have complete creative control over. So that's that's what's going to be interesting from this point. I
1: I just wonder that, and you kind of gave see. me you kind of gave me carte blanche to to ask, and I'm, I'm always yeah. curious about about that. So. You know, if you're valuing this thing at at five hundred grand, and you're you're going to break even off, you know, off the Netflix deal, then that's that's well, good. No, we
3: might break even off the Netflix deal on that, but we come close.
1: That's good. That's, it's good. That's not that, Ron,
3: as far as I'm concerned. I mean, oh hell
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you guys raise your money?
3: Yeah, I finance a lot. Um One of the other producers, Stephanie, put in some money, and then we we did Kickstarter campaigns. And and we 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 had one one where we really put a lot of effort into it and raised enough money to finish post. Okay. And I think we raised twenty twenty five thousand on that Kickstarter campaign.
1: Okay. So editing, music, got all that taken care of, and people got people got paid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the the fact that you are trending on Netflix and making money from Netflix that makes me feel better about Netflix. I
2: have a, yes. I, I have a quick question. We, we, I, I, I
1: say that because we had a, we had a filmmaker uh, on the show last year, uh, a very popular eighties uh, horror genre filmmaker who released all of his. Uh, earlier stuff to Amazon Prime, and you know he flat out told us his monthly revenues couldn't buy his kid a happy meal at McDonald's. <laughs> right.
4: Um,
1: and now Amazon's going back and getting rid of a lot of those. Yeah. Those low budget. They're they're kind of weeding them out. Boo. Boo indeed. Um yeah. So at least I, kn- it kind of makes me feel a little bit better when I see a movie trending on Netflix that they're actually giving some money to the filmmakers that, that, that makes me happy
2: I, I have a quick question and, and maybe this is a softball question and maybe it's not but given your background with narrative and feel free to say Jason you don't know me uh, why make this film
3: I mean for me honestly I I've, I've worked in in both scripted and unscripted. And every time... I mean, Kate, just put your fingers in your ears at this point. Thank you. Every single documentary I've worked on has changed my life. It's opened me up to some other world. I can't say that for every scripted film I've worked on. And so for me, documentary has become very... has, has been both creatively challenging and personally challenging. And so I've decided to do that and this one was one where I felt like I had the opportunity to, to change the world
2: as, and, an, as an editor who takes a whole bunch of raw consumables in and shapes yeah. it you know, to what fits the story or the narrative one of the things that I have I love and I loathe documentaries because yeah. documentaries in the hands of competence can be very changing. It can affect change. Okay. But at the same time, it's still a person's narrative on the truth to where, right. like, you know, you can take you know, Michael Moore is actually brilliant at it. He can take a scene, and what you see on his film in the documentary might not be contextually accurate as to what transpired in that moment. What do you say in terms of any type of criticism to where, you know, you're a documentary, you're trying to get to the truth of things, and what do you tell people that it was like, well, this documentary is just fake news? This is just. You know, her trying to put her narrative on this thing.
4: Yeah, has anybody, I mean,
2: I think, has anybody said that? Has,
1: any, has anybody not, accused you? of... Is it just me? Has anybody I've, accused I've, you of, of an agenda other than Tut? I, 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 I didn't I, accuse. I didn't accuse anybody. No, but I, I don't see that happening in this case.
3: No, I actually think it can. I mean, I think there's there's certain. I mean, there's certain people who can come out and sort of talk about ethical issues. Should this documentary have ever been made? I think there are certain people who can feel like I should have taken a bigger stand against the parents who feel like I could have taken a bigger stand. I, I felt the like she just
1: good. looked at me when I, she said that. She did. You, you just stared at me, Sky.
3: I didn't. I, I, I looked towards the direction. No, no, you were staring <laughs> at me. Look. But I think, I, think, I think there's... You know, everybody's going to come to this and, and bring certain opinions, and... And I think that's great. I think you should come to this film and, and bring your opinions into it. Um, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we were faced with all of those different choices, and my editor and I sort of batted those back and forth, and ultimately I sort of got to the point where I was like, we need to go in this direction and cut this out because we can't quite fit it all in. Sure. And, and this is the film that we made, and... And I, I feel, I do feel like there were certain things that we did in this film that, that I, that are maybe more subtle, that, that I'm hoping will sort of have this slow burn kind of effect. There are other things that I feel like are a little bit sort of hard hitting. There are some other things that I feel like are, could potentially be viewed as manipulative, which doesn't bother me should. in a huge way. Because it should. I kind of it know shouldn't, I it, like it, it shouldn't. That,
1: the manipulative thing shouldn't bother you at all. These are their words that you're working with. That that's right. that's that's right. not on you. I I right. will say this to 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 your question, Tut, and to, and I, I don't watch a lot of documentaries. I don't watch Michael Moore documentaries. What I can tell you is one of my for a guy who doesn't watch documentaries. One of my top five films of all time is a documentary. It's American movie.
3: Oh, American movie.
1: And much like sky's film here it is the right filmmaker finding the right subject matter at the it's it, it's a lightning bolt it's a once in a lifetime thing where a filmmaker finds the right subject matter and digs deep and exposes you to a a community a culture a family that you would never in a million years be exposed to and for whatever reason, that story relates to you in a personal way. Whether it's in Sky's film as a parent, whether it's in American movie as a filmmaker. You will live with that. And, I, you know, that's a movie I watch on a yearly basis. I used to watch on a monthly basis. The fact that Chris Moore, the director of uh, I believe it's was Chris Moore, the director of American movie, found this Wisconsin filmmaker struggling to make his next movie. It was the it was the perfect storm, and yeah. he made the perfect documentary that also encompassed the. It wasn't. It didn't matter if your dream was to be a filmmaker. It didn't matter if your dream. This guy encompassed everybody with a crazy dream, but if you were a filmmaker, you fell in love with this story, and I think Sky captured lightning in a bottle here with this story as. You don't have to be a parent. You just have to be (laughs) a cognizant human being. That's why her range is so much greater than American movie. You just have to be uh, interested in the human experience to (laughs) to just gravitate towards this bizarre, insane story. Um, And she did it. And I think she did it wonderfully. I just... uh, I'm so proud of you, Sky. I, I just, you know, I probably won't watch another documentary for ten years. What? Unless you make another one. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with these. We'll do an 80s TNA flick next week and everything will be back to normal. But,
4: I uh... Hey,
1: you did your part to inject a little bit of culture in the Tuesday Night Cigar Club and we're better for it. Cody,
5: you're better for it. You're right. I
3: know. Well, I appreciate you guys um, entertaining me and uh, taking you, such
1: good with me and entertaining entertain you. <laughs> Thanks for entertaining us.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, no, uh, to come on and to dissect your film and to take uh, Tut's heated questions. Um, I think we threw a bunch of softballs,
2: but yeah. you, t- you were you were in there. Um, yeah. I, by the way, if you ever need an assistant editor, oh jeez, <laughs> here he comes with the. He works cheap. I can vouch for that. He works cheap. I work for <laughs> Cade. Yes, I do.
1: Uh, but no, uh, you know what? I w- I would. I would love to do more of this. I would love to yeah. have filmmakers on the show to, you know, let us do our process of going through it scene by scene and have a.
2: Have that input. I was about to say you've given us such a great gift tonight and just yeah. with your access and being forthcoming with all of our questions.
1: Sky Rocks. I told you that before we started. She's yeah. awesome. Um and you're never gonna do this again, are you, Sky? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we'll do this
3: again. Next time next time,
1: tell next time I'll tell you what beer we're drinking, you can stock up Yes.
3: So I can load up, and so I can be, I can be tipping it back with
1: you. Yes, uh, boys, real quick before we uh, cut sky loose, cigar, three thumbs up, three thumbs yes. up, very uh, tasty. Yes, uh, yes, good flavor that very. price point. Good amazing. flavors that price point was amazing. Uh, the beer,
2: as, as always, do, Unibrew don't fail. I haven't quite figured out how I feel about it. <laughs> it's just like all the other Unibrew food mm, you beers. You've had one, oh, wait, two,
1: I, I know, oh, I just six. figured it out. I, I really like it. Um, yeah, th- You know what? They kind of categorized it as a red ale, bordered on a red ale. I don't get a red ale out of this at all. Uh, so this a this is a double. This is a strong brew. It's, well,
5: a strong ale, yes. Yeah,
1: this is a strong, no. this is strong ale. There's no red. I don't like red ales. Uh, Boy, kept up with the cigar, and uh, man, really, really tasty. And I think we are all thumbs up on Abducted in Plain Sight. Uh, available to everyone right now on Netflix. Netflix! Um, man, that's two Netflix-exclusive movies we've done in a row.
2: Look at us. Oh my god, we're relevant in 2019. We're out
1: of the 80s and 90s. We're actually talking about movies that are made... Uh, yeah, how about that?
2: Just wait till next time when we go into the 1970s classic. Uh... Sky, have you seen The Package on Netflix? No.
1: That's what we did last episode. It's about a bunch oh, It's about a much teenagers. Teenagers they go in the woods and one of them uh, lops his wang off, and the whole <laughs> movie they're trying to get his wiener back to
3: the hospital. It's
1: the hospital. <laughs>
3: Oh, it sounds incredible. It sounds
1: it sounds very It, it is. On I love the fact. So that. many levels.
2: <laughs> this guy's like, I just made a documentary trying to expose pedophilia in America, and you guys are talking about <laughs> the package
1: lopping off wieners. This is why. <laughs> is this is why we're club.
5: having problems. This
1: is why Sky and I's friendship has worked over the years. <laughs> <laughs> she tol- she tolerates me.
2: That's the way a lot of your friendships work. They tolerate you. Yeah, well.
1: What are you going to do? Okay, everybody. Uh, t- send us some links.
2: All right. So uh, if you're on YouTube, join us at Night Cigar Uh See our website. Same address, TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Go to our Instagram, Tuesday, uh, TNCC underscore podcast. You can join us on Twitter at TNCCCast. And then uh, if you're going to buy some cigars, guess what? Go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, hit the famous uh, smoke banner, and then enter your promo code TNCC20, and you'll get...
1: What if they want a, uh, $20 off $100? Yeah, that's almost like 20%. What about if they want to buy something off Amazon for their oh, love? Oh, if you
2: want to buy uh, someone off of... Excuse me, let me get into my sex. Valentine's voice. Day is coming up.
5: Valentine's Day is coming up. you want up, me to do this with my
2: Adrian Barbeau voice? Yeah, go ahead.
5: Lovers, if you're buying something for your lovers on Valentine's Day,
1: go to Amazon.com. No, no, no. Go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, baby. Click on the Amazon banner and then order your lingerie or your... whatever guys want on Amazon. And do it through the TNCC banner, baby. It's all good.
2: Uh, Sky, can I get a commentary on his Sky- Adrian Barbo? Uh, sh-
1: Dude, she doesn't know who. He, that that was the great thing about working with Sky. Whenever I would throw her a horror reference or like, this is going to be like the fog, or she had no idea what I was talking about, and it was beautiful.
3: I had no idea what the horror movie references you were talking about. That's it's so insulting.
1: You said that in our behind-the-scenes <laughs> documentary. This guy was giving me so many references. I had no idea what these guys were talking about.
3: Because they were completely obscure references. It's not like the fog. I mean, come on. Oh.
1: Sky, would you like to give our listeners your what's your Twitter?
3: Oh, it's Sky Borgman. Everything is Sky Borgman. The film is Abducted Doc. On all the twits and the swits and the instas and the all those. It's all the abducted my, doc. the,
1: the MySpace.
3: <laughs> Go join oh, Tom on
2: her MySpace. <laughs>
1: Don't join B on MySpace. Don't, join on Don't on you MySpace. join B on MySpace? That's that's bad news. Bad news. Oh, uh, <laughs> right. I just
2: heard her say, "Oh my god."
1: <laughs> I love this woman. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sky.
3: Uh, it's been so awesome. I
1: I hope I, w- I I told Tut on our last break. You know, as as a creative person, I would I, I would like. Nothing more than to some random strangers digging into my creative works and questioning me and and calling me out and asking me for
3: right.
1: I, I hope it was fun
3: I love it I love it i love I love having really open conversations like that I mean we're not strangers so that that's that's a different
1: no that helps i th- I, th- I, th- helps. I, th- I think there's a level of of, yeah. of of comfort here that helps but I mean it is different than a q and a at a film festival or a uh, Absolutely. an internet yeah. thing. I mean, we, we we literally just went through the whole damn film and asked you any question we had. That that's invaluable. Yeah. If you like this film, and you want to know more, I I don't know what
2: else we yeah. can do for you. Uh, yeah,
1: and
3: I love the I love I love the hard questions. It's great. I love
2: it. Right. I love the fact that you were open to them. No,
3: oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the only way to be. So, yeah.
2: All right, boys
1: and gal, should we send this thing out? Yes. All right. Well, as I say on the end of every episode, let the wings of liberty never lose a feather. our motherfuckers. To learn more about the time I was abducted, not once... Not twice, but three times by my horny middle aged smokin' hot neighbor, Chesty Summers. Uh, at least I think her name was Chesty Summers. It's really foggy. Anywho, please visit my brand spankin' new YouPorn channel. Oh wait, Tut said I couldn't cross promote that particular side venture on here. <laughs> Spanking. Well, in the meantime, to learn more about the cigars and libations enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit netflix.com, punchcigars.com, and unibrew.com.
0: For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.